Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The 0-2, and it's strike three called! Throws him with a fastball. Julio Urias gets the last seven in a row, and the Los Angeles Dodgers have won the World Series for the first time since 1988. Dan Schulman, the call last night here on 101 ESPN, and the Dodgers are the world champions. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Dodgers win the World Series, and that was just part of the drama <laughs> of Game 6 last night. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Randy. I can't believe we made it through the 2020 Major League Baseball season. I was thinking about that last night as the Dodgers were celebrating that. If you would have told us several months ago that they would have crossed the finish line we would have said I don't see a possible path to this celebration but it it wasn't without controversy at the end but congratulations to Major League Baseball for pulling it off and especially here in St. Louis we would have never thought there would be an end and fortunately for Major League Baseball Kevin Cash did take Blake Snell out (laughs) because we might we would not have played game seven tonight no absolutely not the way it started was Typical Randy Rosarena, remember him? Yeah, he was a Cardinal course. one time. Yeah, he was. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. If I squint, I can remember that. Yeah. yeah. He, Michelle, he set the all-time postseason home run record, hitting his tenth in the first inning. That Matthew Libertor, he better oh, be he special. Better be good. <laughs> and the thing was, is that he hit a changeup the other way. And Joe talked yesterday when mm-hmm. we had Joe Buck on the show about how you can just see with his hands how. Uh, how he sees pitches and reacts to pitches. And he saw one changeup on the outside part, and he thought, okay, well, if you're going to do that, you, you might do that again. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. And Tony Gonsolin threw it, and he got a hold of it, hit it out to right field. one nothing raise in the first inning. He is such a weapon. And I was thinking about this last night, too, when I was making my notes for the game. How many times were the Cardinals mentioned in a negative way on national broadcast throughout the postseason because they gave up Randy Rosarena? It happened reasonably off. Almost every single game it was. The Rays acquired him from the Cardinals. The Rays targeted him. They Mm -hmm. scouted him thoroughly. He was the the linchpin of this deal. They would not have done this unless they got Randy Rosarena. He was the guy. All of these things that they talked about over and over and over again. It's just reinforcing the way that St. Louis Cardinals fans feel right now on a national stage. Now, Rosarena had another chance, and it really could have been a game changer to end the second inning. First and second, two out. And Dylan Floro comes on. He replaces Gonsolin and throws a Rosarena three straight change-ups to strike him out and end the inning. That was a huge point in the game. Yes, it was. It was huge. But at the same time he struck out, Mookie Betts, <laughs> Kyle, Corey Seager, and Justin Turner 
all in their two at-bats against Blake Snell, struck out swinging two times. He faced the top of the Dodgers lineup two times and struck out the six hitters swinging each time. Every time. Cruising. Yeah, he was. But six inning. But it happens, right? So he is cruising in the sixth inning. He gets A.J. Pollock to pop up, soft pop up. And then a soft bloop hit by Austin Barnes. And Kevin Cash, the manager of the Rays, decides to take his dominant starter, Blake Snell, out. You know what? Just felt like at that point, Blake had given everything that he that, that we could have asked for out of him. Tough decision, gut-wrenching decision. Nick Anderson's been arguably the best reliever in baseball the last two years. Wanted him to get through the inning. Totally understand the question, the criticism that's going to come with it but confident that, that that we had two really good options to choose from. Kevin Cash to Fox. He brought in Nick Anderson, who allowed a run in six consecutive games, and things went kind of south. Mookie Betts doubled. Anderson throws a wild pitch, and Seager uh, or Barnes scores, and then Seager with a ground ball to allow Betts to score, and all of a sudden, the one nothing game turns into to a 2-1 game there in the sixth inning. I know, I I, I was going to say I don't know what Kevin Cash is thinking, but Michelle, in a situation like this, in Major League Baseball in 2020, the problem is is that a manager doesn't think. Everything is by the book. Everything is paint by numbers. Everything is predetermined for the manager, and that's what happened. He was not going to allow Blake Snell, who, by the way, had not pitched beyond the sixth inning this year. He was not going to allow Blake Snell to face the Dodgers lineup a third time, even though he was dominant and the guy that he was replaced by had allowed runs in six consecutive games. I know it's a formula that has worked for them. I know this is something that they stick to. But as they said on the as Joe said on the broadcast last night, they're looking for reasons to take him out, not for reasons to yeah. keep him in. And I I always think back to Tony La Russa, who constantly preached men, not machines, men, not machines. And sometimes I don't care what the numbers say. If you're in this moment and this is your guy and he is locked in, wait until he looks like he's wearing down. Wait until he's giving you any sort of signal that he's ready to come out. And he seemed very frustrated at the time and after the game. And obviously his teammates had a lot to say about it as well. It is amazing that... uh you have a manager and you pay a manager, but you don't want him to get a feel for the game. You mentioned formula and everything is formulaic. And it's important to point out that there is a great spot for numbers and analytics. But the reason that the great managers are the great managers, it's not because of the 162 games during the regular season. It's because people like Joe Torre make great moves in the postseason. It's because Tony Larusa does innovative things and makes great moves during the postseason. And especially after the grind of 162 games in the playoffs, they understand when their players are worn down and when they need to take them out or when they're fresh, like Blake Snell was last night. It's a shame because Kevin Cash could have been sitting in his screened-in porch in Tampa on a Zoom and just said, okay, take cash out. And they could have flashed a red light up yeah. and or Snell and Snell would have come out. He apparently was paying zero attention to what Blake Snell was actually doing. And what about wanting 
to win or lose it with your guy, with the guy who's out there grinding yeah. for you, with the guy who's out there who your who your team is getting momentum from, watching him deal to other pitchers. What about or excuse me, other batters? What, what about the other team's reaction to this? They the Dodgers were clearly breathing a sigh of release, a, a relief, almost laughing, saying, "Really? Thank you. We appreciate yeah. that." Especially the top of the order that had struck out six times. Well, Mookie hits a home run later, and. That's all she wrote. Julio Urias was great for the Dodgers. Again, he closed things out. And Corey Seager won World Series MVP, and the Dodgers win for the first time since 1988. There's so much discussion this morning about Kevin Cash. But at the end of the day, the Rays did only score one run, and the Dodgers were the best team in baseball. And they've been the best team in baseball before and haven't won a championship. So... For a guy like Betts, for a guy like Kershaw, especially in my opinion, and some of the guys that won, I'm really happy to see them win. And even Justin Turner, who left the game in the seventh inning with a positive COVID test that apparently he took like on Memorial Day or something, Fourth of July, they got it back late. And they took him out of the game in the seventh, and he came back on the field after being taken out and celebrated with the team afterwards. So many things to discuss there. How are the results not getting done before the game? How are you letting players out on the field without knowing whether or not they have tested positive for COVID? What are we doing here? Isn't that the entire point of the testing is so that you find out if anyone is infected as to not spread it and infect other people? Or are they just thinking, hey, it's the World Series, you know, maybe there's a glitch in the machine. We'll just let it go. Who knows? But that blew my mind to think in the middle of the game that there could be this panic. Uh Uh-oh, we got a positive test. How was it? How is that not the only thing you're concerned about before the game? It's unbelievable that with all the resources Major League Baseball has and they have their own labs, that they didn't get the result back until the second inning and then told Justin Turner and Dave Roberts in the seventh, yeah, you got to get him out of there and you got to get another guy in. It is incredibly irresponsible and foolish on the part of Major League Baseball. And then Turner comes back out, and I get this more because players aren't doctors and players, once the game and the championship are over, they're a group. They, they, they aren't leaving anybody out. So if Justin Turner is going to come out and participate in the postgame celebration, there wasn't a single player on that team that didn't want him to be there. As a matter of fact, Dave Roberts told Greg Amzinger and Harold Reynolds on MLB Network when asked about it, he said, the first thing I want to do is go hug his big red head. And here's a cancer survivor in Dave Roberts, a pre-existing condition. The demeanor and thought process of a championship team is different than the demeanor and thought process of most individuals. They truly are a team, and especially a group of guys in their mid-20s and 30s, they aren't concerned about Justin Turner being COVID positive. They're more concerned about him being a part of their group, which will be a group forever. Of course, and I don't fault them for that. This is a moment that they have earned and they have worked for and wanted for a long time, and you finally capture it, and you're not thinking clearly. I don't fault the team and his teammates for wanting him to be there in that moment. I fault the people who are getting paid to control this and who should have known better and who should have said, hey, if you want to take the picture, you got to stand with a mask on six feet outside your teammates, and it's not going to look the way you want, but guess what? That's 2020. You know who else wanted to celebrate, Randy? Kids who wanted to go to graduation last year. You know who 
who else wanted to celebrate? Kids who, who missed their homecoming dance because of COVID. It's 2020. We need to not be so selfish. We need to say, hey, I tested positive. I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking of your families who are here and maybe your parents who I don't want to infect. So I'm going to wear this mask and I'm going to stay away from you. We're going to air high five and that's just the way it's going to be. And nobody in Major League Baseball took it upon themselves to even Rob Manfred, who was down on the field, to say, okay, well, this is not the right thing to do. Go back into isolation. Because in their minds, they're thinking, we crossed the finish line. Right. Yep. We we did we, our part We got here. our money. We did, we did what we needed to do. There's a champion on the field. We don't have to worry about a game seven. We're good here. Yeah. It's remarkable. And what a remarkable season for Major League Baseball. And it is a miracle as Tim Kirkton said, that they did get across the finish line. Barely. Barely. Barely got across the finish line. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, we want emails to askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. You can text us, 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. Maybe leave us a Rhino Shield mic drop, because the weekly feature, you can ask sports questions or relationship questions or cooking questions, whatever question you have, You have Sage Uncle Randy available to you coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right. uh, Your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. You can email us at Uncle Randy at 101ESPN.com or use a Rhino Shield mic drop and ask me anything. Michelle, what do you got? Question number one. Ask Uncle Randy. I've got Stafford and Tua on my fantasy team. My gut says to start Tua. What would you do? My gut would be to start Matthew Stafford. Let me take a look at your opponents quickly just to make sure that I feel good about my choices here. Okay, you've got the Dolphins. The Lions are playing the Colts. The Colts have an excellent defense. So that's a check mark for Tua. And Tua doesn't have as much surrounding talent. And Tua is taking on the Rams. Did play Monday night, have to travel across the country, but are allowing the second fewest points in the NFL. I'm going to go with Matthew Stafford in this one. Okay. Noted to the 618. How about this one, Randy, from the 636? Uncle Randy, is it selfish as a single person to want to date during the pandemic? Should I wait until after the pandemic? Should I be more concerned about catching love or catching COVID? You should be more concerned about catching love. It is not selfish. Now, the weather now is not conducive to going out and dating, but... If you do have the ability on a 60, 65 degree day to go out to a patio and socially distance with somebody, I have and wear a mask. I have no problem at all. As a matter of fact, I advocate getting out with other adults and going out on a date. Don't date inside. Don't date without social distancing. And do concern yourself with catching the the Rona, bro. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm not going to say, no, you can't date because there are options for you to date with responsible social distancing and responsibility to your and everybody else's health. Yeah, I would say as long as you do it safely, you should be very concerned about catching love because winter is coming. And there could we're not going to be doing a lot in winter, so, right. you, so try to catch some love now. Yeah, I'm with you. Before it gets too cold. How about this one? Uncle Randy, I'm 70 years old, and I've pretty much lost any semblance of a filter. Is this okay? This happens, apparently, when you get older. Yes, it is okay for 70 and beyond. For me, 58. For Michelle, younger. Scotty, younger. No, it's not okay to not have a filter. But one thing we do recognize about older men is that they do lose that filter. It's a natural thing. It goes away. So, well, 
Other people not might not appreciate it. At the end of the day, what they're going to say is, ah, he's an old man. His filter's gone. So people understand. I think that's kind of one of the joys of getting older. No? Take advantage of it. Yes. Say anything that you want. Right. They say things you've always wanted to say. Yeah, don't care about it. That's the thing is once you get to be 70 or 80, you just don't care anymore. I can't wait until I'm in my 80s and somebody walks in and I say, that shirt is disgusting. Why did you wear that? I can't wait to be that person. Yeah, I will be that person. You just have to take on that persona. Like, you could even buy a coat that says, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. My grandma was one of those people. She did not care, no filter, mm-hmm. but she always had treats and candy to balance it out. Yeah, that's that's important. That's you know? a good thing to be able to... Uh, Tony used to call it punch and pat, Tony LaRussa. So, you know, if, if somebody did something bad... That he, he would kind of punch him in the gut, but then pat him on the back when they did something good. Classic punch and pat. Randy, or excuse me, I'm. this is from the 636. I'm trying to create my first from scratch chili soon. Any tips, Uncle Randy? One of the things that I am not a fan of, this is a personal thing for me. I don't like sweet chili. So if you have a recipe for chili that includes brown sugar, mm-hmm. I would leave it out. Really? I'm not an overly spicy fan but you have to do what you like in terms of spices but my thing my my main thing is i think there are as many people or more that don't like sweetness in their chili so the one recommendation that i would have is to leave the the brown sugar out of it hot tip or is it not randy i'm a senior in high school who's looking to go to lindenwood to study communications with an interest in sports broadcasting growing up i've admired you i've listened to your shows since i was a young boy i want to do big things in life i've been announcing volleyball basketball and football at my high school since my sophomore year uncle randy what would be your advice to a young announcer like me that's from jack okay jack first of all i think it was brilliant of you to get the experience get the reps of doing those games in high school lindenwood is a great choice because you're going to get real hands-on experience. You're going to be able to broadcast when you go to Lindenwood. There are four or five recommendations I have. Number one, know as much about sports as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Don't leave any stone unturned because if you want to be a sportscaster, you have to know what you're talking about. I think that's huge. Number (laughs) two, and this is really the most important thing, whether it's when you go to school, when, when you're dealing with the people that run the station at school or your first professional job, And I tell this to my kids, make sure that you work hard. And when you finish a project, you go to your boss and say, okay, that project is done. What can I do next? Before you leave work, I'm headed out. But is there anything that I can do for you before I leave? Work ethic sets you apart Mm -hmm. in 2020 as as a young person. Uh, The third thing is uh, be deferential. It's... Michelle started as a producer. I started as a producer. Scott Manziara is starting as a producer. Don't believe that you're going to walk into a radio station and think that you should be on the air that day first. There's a a lot of people that do. Don't be afraid to work your way up in the industry. And then finally, remember that you're in the toy store of life. I think there are a lot of angry people, Michelle, in sports broadcasting, and there's no good reason to be mad when you're in sports broadcasting. Even in a year like this, we get a chance to talk sports. So enjoy it. Enjoy it is correct. Uh, The best piece of advice that I was ever given early in my career, too, was whatever job you get, find the person in the building whose career you would most want yours to look like and follow them like glue. 
That's a good idea, too. I remember when I came here and with you, Bernie, all of these people who were great mentors to me, I remember watching you guys intently, learning through osmosis from you, how you put together a show, how even little things that you do, how you, this is broadcast returns, but how you transition in a segment, how you set up the next one, how you throw to break, things like that. Watch people who you want to emulate and pay attention to the little things that they do. So, Jack, good luck, and we hope we helped you out. And if we can help you anymore, just email us at UncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. This is a text from Andy. Hey, Uncle Randy, my 11-year-old son is trying really hard to play baseball and wants to go pro, but he's not very good. Do I keep supporting him, or do I need to talk to him about this being a far-fetched dream? How old again? 11. Uh, You don't talk to him about this being a far-fetched dream at this point point. Allow him to have fun, to enjoy it. If he still feels this way at 16, then I think you have that discussion. But for every single 11-year-old that dreams of playing in the major leagues, allow them to live that dream. Remember that J.D. Drew didn't even pick up a bat until he was 14 years old and turned into a major leaguer that made $100 million. Mm -hmm. It changes for a lot of people, especially when you're 11. We don't know what your ultimate athletic ability is going to be. There are a lot of players right now that are the best player on their 11-year-old teams that are going to be left in the dust once they get to high school athletically. So, no, continue to nurture that dream. And whatever you can, whenever you can have a youngster, that is willing to participate in sports and has a love for it, nurture that and encourage that. How about this one from the 618? Uncle Randy, how do I mentally prepare myself for a 2020 Cardinal season without Wayno, Yachty, and Wong? All right. What we have to do, and you, you couched it perfectly because you do have to mentally prepare for it because we do make an emotional investment in players like that. But what you have to do in all of sports is look for the future. And remember that I think the easiest thing to do is remember that we had Albert Pujols one time. We had Ozzie Smith one time. We had Chris Carpenter one time. And life went on without those guys. And the Cardinals were able to go to World Series without those guys. So if they can do it without those guys, then they'll be able to do it with the new guys. And... The other part of this is I have actually enjoyed the good things that Albert Pujols has done with other teams. And I've enjoyed the other things, the good things that a lot of the Cardinals have done, former Cardinals have done. So remember that the best you'll ever see of those players, specifically Yadi Amueno, the best that you will ever see or that they'll ever deliver, you saw. And if they go to other teams... Wish them luck and root for those teams, too. It gives you, if they go to the Yankees, it gives you another team to root for. And remember, you're cheering for your city and you're cheering for the birds on the bat, not always the name on the back of the jersey. But I think St. Louis is different, Michelle, in that we do root for and appreciate our guys. Of course. I think we're more of a people place than most places are. Yeah, you, you have to, at the end of the day, root for the laundry. But you can root for your current guys and then enjoy the people that you had to, especially Adam Wainwright, who's done such incredible things for our community.
Breakups are tough, but time heals all wounds. It does, eventually, yeah. Okay, last one. Speaking of that, this is from Richard, an email. Randy, I'm really mad that Petro left. I have a Petro jersey. What do I do with it? Am I allowed to keep wearing it to Blues games, or should I just keep it in my closet to never be worn again? You can continue to wear it to Blues games. It's an iconic jersey. No other Blue ever lifted the Stanley Cup. So you're honoring not just Alex Petrangelo, the captain, but you're honoring the the first Stanley Cup champions in the history of the Blues franchise. So when you go to a Blues game, absolutely feel free to wear that jersey. And understand that Petro's not angry and the Blues aren't angry. There's no reason for us to be angry. These things happen, kids. Sometimes mom and dad just don't get along anymore and they break up. And that's exactly what has happened here with Alex Petrangelo and the Blues. They just don't agree on things anymore. But you know what? It doesn't mean that they don't love you any less. Exactly. (laughs) And we're going to get a new dad. And maybe we can call him dad or maybe we can just call him... Uncle, uh, oh, let, let's come up with an, uh, a name. Uncle Tory. Let's just go with that. And we can, we can find a new favorite that will teach us how to shoot the puck and play goal and have fun times. That's my mom's special friend, Tory. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he comes over for dinner a lot. <laughs> my dad's in Vegas. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. That was awesome. Randy. And thanks for all of your response. We do this every uh, Wednesday hump day <laughs> on Carriker and Smallman. It's Ask Uncle Randy. Next up, yesterday Adam Wainwright joined Danny Mac on Scoops with Danny Mac in the 10 o'clock hour, and they talked about those two being a package deal. We'll hear from Wayno next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Over the years, Adam Wainwright has insisted that he will never play for another team than the St. Louis Cardinals, that that will be the only team he ever plays Major League Baseball for. Obviously, things change in Major League Baseball. Michelle, right now, as we sit here on October 28th of 2020, could you envision Adam Wainwright pitching for another team in Major League Baseball? I cannot, no. I'm with you. I can't either. And yesterday he joined Dan McLaughlin on Scoops with Danny Mac and talked about the relationship that he and Yadier Molina have and how they want to be a package deal. We were sitting on the bus next to each other last year and we got our masks on. And, you know, we're a whole row apart or whatever. And I just look over and I said, what's going to happen next year? <laughs> and because I just got done with a postgame interview and and everybody was asking me, like, hey, are you going to play next year? This and that. And I, and I, and I just... I tried not to think about it, you know, but it was on my brain and I just looked over and I just, I looked, I realized, I said, I just realized in my head, this guy's a free agent. I'm a free agent. We've been here since, you know, the Vietnam war basically. And what's going to happen. So I look over and I just goes, Yachty, you're a free agent, right? He goes, yeah. I go, I'm free agent too. He goes, yep. I go, what's going to happen? He goes, I have no idea. He goes, I, I don't know, bro. I said, I don't know either. I was just, uh, it was just a realization that, you know, life moves on. The game moves on. Baseball moves on. The Cardinals move on. But um, hopefully they don't move on yet. So I, I, I said, hey, what are we going to do, though? Like, what are you and I going to do? He goes, I don't know. Well, let's go somewhere together. I said, I agree. Let's go somewhere together. So we'll see, man. I don't know. Uh, neither one of us wants to leave St. Louis. We all want to – we both want to be there. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I know that times are weird. COVID's, you know, and the payroll flexibility is, is probably not what – Mo wishes it was, but 
we'll see. I don't know. My, my man Yachty, though, is a special part of my life, uh, more than just baseball. So I was, I've been blessed to be his teammate this long. Hopefully it keeps going. So is Yadier Molina going to MLB Network too? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, <laughs> there, he'd be a perfect fit there. If they're going somewhere together, is Yadier in the booth too? <laughs> I don't think so. Yadier has insisted that he wants to play for two more years. He mm-hmm. wants a two-year contract. I would be stunned if the Cardinals would give Yadier Molina a two-year contract because of what they have on the horizon. And as Wayno mentioned, and they know about the Cardinals' lack of payroll flexibility, uh, unless he's willing to sign a two-year deal for something like $8 million or $10 million, something like that, I think it would be more realistic to think that they could go and play for another franchise, and the franchise that sticks out that could use a catcher and could use a pitcher and wants to win now is, and Tony La Russa is with, and Albert Pujols is with, is the Los Angeles Angels. Could you imagine so many favorites. Get the band back together. Here in St. Louis, yeah, getting the band back together, the reunion tour, a reboot, if you will. And I know Adam Wainwright is very sincere when he says that, that Yachty's such a huge part of his life. And I, I'm sure he's telling the truth when he's recalling their conversation and saying that they said, let's go somewhere together. But he also mentioned the financial constraints that teams are under right now. And I don't know if it is possible for them to be a package deal. I could see the Cardinals wanting to retain one, but not having the money to retain the other. And if both of them want to remain in St. Louis, that would be a difficult decision for them to make. And it would be a weird thing for them to think, hey, we're going to break up. One of us might be here in St. Mm-hmm. Louis and the other one might be somewhere else. But at the end of the day, they're going to do what's best for them and their careers and their families. But I could certainly see a scenario in which Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright are not wearing the same uniform next season. I could see that too. And if they believe that their partnership is bigger than being a member of the Cardinals, then so be it. There's Mm -hmm. nobody that can do anything about that. And if the Cardinals have to move on from those two, we've talked about emotion of players uh, and our attachment to players. There's nothing we can do about that as fans either. If it's more important for Adam Wainwright to be with Yadier Molina than it is to be with the Cardinals, then that's just the way it is. And there's nothing that we can do about it. Which would surprise me. It would. I, I think about those guys and the where they are at the end of their careers. Both of them are still such great competitors and are hungry to go out there and compete and to win. But think about you've been in St. Louis for so long. Your family is ingrained here. You have your routine at the ballpark. You have your place in the clubhouse. You have your place in Cardinal history. I know Yadier Molina is the type of player that... No matter what happens next, he's going to go there and feel like everything is still the way that it is. Even if it's not, even Mm -hmm. if he's in New York and he's having to deal with the New York media or having to deal with certain pressures, I can see that fire raging on for him. If you're Adam Wainwright, even though you're such a competitor, you've already had a taste of what post-baseball is going to be like in the booth with that success. If you're weighing all of these different things with your family in mind, are you thinking, Mm -hmm. okay, I could, you know, remain in one place with my family, travel to go do these these games. The travel is much less, and then I could I can be in the booth, make probably more than I would make as a member of any team right now, doing this and start this next chapter of my life. Or could I take another team friendly deal and remain in St. Louis, maybe for one more year, give it one more year. Hopefully, fans are back in the stands and we can have this be the true end. 
Or do, do you really envision a scenario in which you see Adam Wainwright wanting to test free agency and wanting to see what, what it would be like to go to another team? I, I can see that with Yachty far more than I can see it with Adam Wainwright. I can only see it with Waino if he's not offered a contract by the Cardinals. And I'm pretty confident that he will be. Clearly, he wants to keep playing. But the only scenario that I can see him leaving is if there just isn't an option there for him mm-hmm. to be a member of the Cardinals. And maybe the Yankees, who make that $500 million a year in TV money, w- w- would offer up. Because clearly, at the end of the season, they needed a starting pitcher, and they don't they aren't in love with Gary Sanchez anymore. So maybe they go for one more go-round. But that's another franchise that has been pretty strident in saying that they don't want to sign free agents that are over 30 years old. They've built up their system, and maybe they go for that one-year fix like George Steinbrenner used to do. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't seem to be the kind of move that the current administration makes like the old administration did. When you look at the Yankee lineup, third base, whether it's Urshela or Andujar, guys that are young and came up through their system. They, they traded for Glaber Torres. At second base, they've got uh, LeMahieu on a budget contract, Luke Voigt, Luke Voigt at first. They did go out and spend big money on Stanton in his prime. But then in center field, it's Clint Frazier or Aaron Hicks. In right field, uh, they, they've got Judge. That's a, a young inexpensive team that they have. Cole is a young player. He's not inexpensive. But it's not like the old days when they would go out and sign that 38-year-old guy. It's been a long time since the Yankees have signed that 38-year-old free agent. But Gadier Molina could be a different animal. As you said, they could be looking at this as, hey, this is a quick fix. But if you're the Yankees and you have money, wouldn't you rather get JT Rule Muto? If you're going to go out and get a catcher, don't you want to go get the best catcher? Maybe. So, and a guy that's in his 20s still, I, I think I would prefer to go that way if if I were the Yankees. And maybe you have Yadier Molina as a, on a one-year deal for 3 or $4 million as a fallback option. But I, I just don't see the Yankees having him as their first choice. You said you'd be stunned if the Cardinals gave Yadier a, two, a two-year deal. Yeah. I would be more stunned if they didn't. Really? So, Not I, because I, just, I think it's necessarily the right decision. But because I think that that's what they're going to do. This is Yadier Molina. This is someone who has been the face of your franchise for a long time. This is a guy who is a leader in so many ways. This is a guy who can still play and wants to play. This is a guy that fans will come to games to see. There's there's so many aspects of it that I can see the Cardinals saying, okay, to your de- maybe they put some caveats mm-hmm. in there as far as playing time or as far as the transition at the end of uh, the end of the contract, but. I think they're more likely to do it than I think they are to not do it. I think at some point they have to recognize that they're going to have to move on. And this is a franchise that Branch Rickey was the general manager of for a long time. And everybody in baseball knows the old Branch Rickey credo. Better to move on from a player a year too early rather than a year too late. And because of what's already happened with the departure of Carson Kelly and with the fact that Kisner is going to be 26 and the fact that they have Herrera on the way, I think at some point they're going to have to open a spot for a new guy because uh, Yadier Merlin is not going to be playing when he's 42. Even if he's playing, obviously, his... He can still play, but is is the OPS going to go down to 620 and then 590 and then 584? At what point do they say, okay, this 
guy that's basically in charge of our organization, his performance isn't worth that anymore. This is an organization who had an offense last season that was 28th in run scored and right. is sticking with their offensive approach and their, their hitting coach. Why why would they change that mentality when it comes to a, a goat and a legend like Yadier Molina? Because you need to get new hitters. If you're going to keep the same approach, you need new hitters. They seem to hang on to to things for a while. And I, and I don't see Yadier Molina being any exception to the rule. I'll be really interested to see how this all plays out. I I wonder if John Mosaylock, I know John Mosaylock has Doug Armstrong in him, but I wonder if Bill DeWitt has that Tom Stillman in him to let the guy go. And how much of that Doug Armstrong was powered by Tony LaRussa? Yeah, well, but Tony was gone when they let Albert go. They didn't let him go. He chose to leave. But they gave him a $210 million offer. They they made an offer that the general manager at the time was uncomfortable with and the owner decided to make. But they went, they, right, but that kind of, I think, highlights what I'm saying is they were willing to go past the point of something that, that was comfortable for them to hang on to a guy who they were going to watch age. A 31-year-old guy that had just won the World Series. I think there's a big difference here between the 31-year-old Pujols, greatest player of his generation, and a 38-year-old Yachty who's been in decline offensively for five years now, and the defensive metrics aren't there anymore either. But they're both legends, and that's both an, that's an emotional move both ways. Yes, that's what it comes down to, is emotion. If the Cardinals sign him, that's an emotional move. That's not a move for the future. And at some point, it, here's the thing. Yadier Molina, the next time the Cardinals are, are going to win the World Series, Yadier Molina is not going to be their catcher. I can guarantee you that. So you're telling me they're not going to win the World Series in 2021? Uh, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> If you would like to participate in the fight at 8.30, you can send us a text 65780 with your name and the word fight, and maybe Scotty will pick you to participate in the fight this morning at 8.30. It is time for Tioli. Thanks for your text to 65780. Michelle, my first one's easy. Take it or leave it. Right now, Los Angeles is the best sports city in America. Hmm. It's a good one. You've got the NBA champs. You've got the baseball champs. You've got a 5-2 and two Rams team. And your hockey kind of sucks. As far as hardware, you have to take it. I always think of a great sports city having to do with fans as well. And I know this season it's not really their fault that the fans couldn't show up in the manner in which they wanted to. And I know that if fans could be there, they would have showed up for the Lakers and the Dodgers. So I'm going to take it. All right. Are you taking it? I'm taking it too. Yeah. Unfortunately, I am. It is funny though, isn't it, that... uh, on Sports Talk Radio, the two Sports Talk Radio stations in L.A., not word one is being said about the Rams. It is kind of funny. Yeah. We would be talking about the Rams here. Well, why would you talk about the Rams? You but have they're... two other championship teams Oh, exactly. Teams I know. In, I love it. Town. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Randy, have you ever seen The Nightmare Before Christmas? I have, yes. Okay, take it or leave it. That's a Halloween movie, not a Christmas movie. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I think that's fair. Yeah. I was having a debate with someone about this the other day. You could really say it's it's either or, but I right. think it's more of a Halloween movie than a Christmas movie, even though it's Christmas-based. 
Yeah, I, I spooky. I, I would say that that is not the typical Christmas movie. Now, right. there are some scary or things that cause trepidation movies out there, right? That before Christmas, Die Hard, one of the classic Christmas movies. Never seen it. Oh, he, come on, Michelle, we got to get this going here. <laughs> uh, actually, Home Alone is kind of scary for young Kevin McAllister. But that's clearly a Christmas movie. But yeah, if you have Nightmare before Christmas, I'm going to go Halloween. More scary for the robbers, am I right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Scotty, what do you got for us? Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. This one comes from the 618. Take It or Leave It, the worst pitching change ever taking Snell out last night in the World Series. Mm. Does bringing Michael Walker in count? It's a good point. Yeah, I got to leave it. Because right that was pretty bad. Hadn't pitched in two weeks. Game five, ninth inning. Rosenthal and Martinez in the bullpen. Uh, yeah, I'm going to leave it. Because we have a local one here that's even more egregious. While we don't agree with the move, at least they were following a formula that had provided success for them. Right. To and get them to this point. The Waka move was just mind-blowing and head-scratching and a terrible decision. Yeah. Yeah, the... There was no formula to bringing Michael Walker in when he hadn't pitched in two or three weeks. From the 314, take it or leave it. Kevin Cash and the Rays have never seen the movie Moneyball. I'm going to leave that. That's the problem. Yeah, because <laughs> they have it on repeat. Yeah. Billy Bean leaves the game when before it starts and is driving away from the ballpark. That's exactly what Kevin Cash was doing last night. He wasn't watching his team play. Because if he was, if he was using the eye test, then he leaves the pitcher in. From the 314, take it or leave it. Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright both have statues in front of Bush Stadium at some point after they retire. This is a good one. I am going to leave that. One, not the other? Right. Yadier, I think, is going to be a Hall of Famer and get the statue. I don't think Adam Wainwright, even though he's going to be a Cardinal Hall of Famer, I don't think that he's going to get the Hall of Fame recognition in Cooperstown that would elicit a statue outside Bush Stadium. Which is wild to think about. Here's a guy who's been such a part of your organization. He's been a key piece to championships and he wouldn't have a statue anywhere. That just shows you how storied the Cardinals franchise is, that a guy like Adam Wainwright would not get that unless he's a Hall of Famer. And I, I haven't looked closely enough, but I wonder if he doesn't miss 2011 and 2015, if he's able to pitch in those years, I wonder how different his numbers would look. He, he might be on the edge of the Hall of Fame if he had those two years. They'd find some way to honor him. He'd be a red jacket guy. Oh, he'll he'll he, be a red jacket yeah, guy either you know. way. But I'm talking about the, the Cooperstown Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean the Cardinals, even yeah, if there's they, no statue. Oh, he'll be honored. There'll be ways he's, to honor him. He's a first ballot Cardinal Hall of Fame. Without Famer. a doubt. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you want to chime in for Take It or Leave It, from the 314, Take It or Leave It, you offer a trade to the Rays just to see who they want in return, and then you hold on to them. <laughs> take it. You have to take that. Yeah. Yeah. So we will give, let's see, we'll trade you Dylan Carlson. Who do you want? Well, uh, or no, we want whom? Randy Rosarena? Yeah. Uh, hey, you willing to maybe swap yeah. him back? An, no? an unhappy Blake Snell. Who, who do you want from us? Uh, we want Carlson. Well, they would never give up Carlson anyway. No. So our cold, dead hands. Who else? Her- they want Harrison Bader. And then you say, oh, well, we got to keep him. Do you keep him? Yeah. You don't trade anybody to the Rays anymore. 
<laughs> you don't do it. Just a hard and fast rule. Yeah. So I remember one time the St. Louis Rams, their general first general manager here was a guy named Steve Ortmeyer. And he traded the tight end for the Rams, Troy Drayton, to Miami for an offensive lineman named Billy Milner. And I actually actually asked in the press conference, I said, you know, if Jimmy Johnson wants one of your guys, doesn't that give you pause? Because he usually wins every trade. And he said, oh, this is the first one he's going to lose. <laughs> a little too much confidence there. Troy Drayton went on. I think Billy Miller might have lasted like three or four games with the Rams. And Troy Drayton had a pretty good career after yeah. that. Yeah. In the 618, take it or leave it. A one-week trip to watch the Blues play at Arizona, L.A., and Anaheim is better than a week-long trip to spring training. Hmm. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm going to leave that. Sure. Where are the locations again? Arizona, okay, LA, okay, warm. and Anaheim. You kind of lost me at Anaheim. No desire to go to Anaheim. How about San Jose? It's not really on my list either. See, because then you could go out and play Pebble Beach. I'm thinking golf. In oh, addition. there you go. Although spring training is great golf too. And spring training, it's different because you have to travel so much to make those three treks. Arizona's fantastic. I love it. Uh-huh. L.A. would be fine for a hockey game and then San Jose or Anaheim. But the fact that you can just stay in one place and go and watch relaxing baseball games is great as well. That's a tough choice for me. I think as I'm marinating on this, I'm going hockey because this is regular season. That's right. I'm going to take a regular season game over practice any day. Even if it involves me traveling more and maybe going to cities that aren't high on my list, we're talking about practice, Randy. But here's the thing. You lose a practice game 7-2 to two and you just go back and hang out on the beach and you don't care what the outcome of the game was. You lose a hockey game in Arizona and then you have to go get on a plane to go to L.A. and you're thinking, that, oh man, they lost. Darn it. So you don't want to... Th- Think so. We're actually turning each other around here. (laughs) I'm going to go with the hockey too. Yeah, because I'm thinking too. If you get, if you lose the first game, you get on the plane. The excitement that you're going to the next city might lessen the pain of the loss. And my ultimate thing here is I'm looking at ancillary items rather than just the games. So, uh, yeah, I think I would. uh, I I think I'd still do the hockey by a hair, though. The spring spring training trip is awesome. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line. Next, are the Dodgers going to be a dynasty now? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 804, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and the Los Angeles Dodgers are the champions of the baseball world. A 3-1 win over the Rays in Game 6 of the World Series last night. Controversy abounds in the sixth inning. Blake Snell, who had allowed just two hits, including a hit to Austin Barnes, to provide Snell his 18th hitter, and the Rays didn't want to see Snell go a third time through the lineup, but he had thrown five and a third, Michelle, hadn't walked anybody, and had struck out nine, and Kevin Cash saw fit to take him out. Did he or did the computers? I think it was the computers. (laughs) I I believe the front office and the information that they gave uh, Cash was, okay, he hasn't pitched beyond the sixth inning this year. He hasn't been good, even though, though there were only 34 hitters against Snell after he got to the 18th hitter, the third time through a lineup all year long, only 34 hitters. So a small sample size, but 
anybody who's watched baseball and uses their eyes, mm-hmm. they say, this guy's dominant. He'd struck out the top three hitters in the Dodgers lineup swinging each of the times they were at bat. Betts, Seager, Turner all struck out swinging uh, twice yeah. against him. Over and, six, six strikeouts. Yeah, it's unreal. And so that's part of the World Series last night because the the Rays took him out, but at the same time, they did only score one run, and the Dodger pitching staff deserves credit, and it was essentially a bullpen game, but after Randy Arozarena's, how do you say it again? Randy Aros, I've never heard of the guy. He's, I, I I'm not familiar with him. Randy Arozarena hit a home run in the first inning. After that, the Rays didn't score. But why give the Dodgers an edge there? If you have a pitcher that is dealing, he absolutely was dealing. And I don't really care what the numbers say at that point. You're trying to win the game, to advance to the next game, to win the World Series. And as Snell said after the game, he's like, I wanted the burnout. He cursed. Yes, he was not pleased. He's saying, I was confident. I was going out there and I was dominant. Exactly what you said. He did not want to come out of the game. He wanted to continue. And his stuff looked great. So even if it's approach that's gotten you there, isn't that part of managing is sometimes going against what you think you Mm -hmm. should do and making a decision based on what you see and what's unfolding in front of you and the feel of the game? Yes, and the guy didn't work up a sweat. It'd be one thing if he had had some high-stress innings. In the 5 and a 30, only threw 73 pitches, and he, he literally had not worked up a sweat yet. No. And the guy that replaced him, Nick Anderson, took the loss. The winner, Victor Gonzalez, and Jose Urias went the final two and a third to pick up the win. And he was sensational. Struck out four, didn't walk anybody, didn't allow a hit. And so the Dodgers win. On the move, Chris Singleton of ESPN Radio was on the call with Dan Schulman. You're looking at models that create consistency over time. Not the big stock pick. It's going to win you a lot right now, but then you're also going to lose a lot. They're looking at the models to say over time that you will be consistently good if you do this. But the problem is the fan is looking at the championship. The baseball players are looking at we don't just want to be good because you can have players that are there for a while and they're with another team. They're looking and saying, hey, we're talented. We want a ring. We want the trophy as opposed to just an organization playing at a high level for a number of years and no championship. So I think that's where somewhat of the disconnect can be from the individuals that are upstairs that are pushing the information and the numbers and those that are actually in the fight and in the battle on the daily basis. If you hire a manager, let your manager manage. Don't let the spreadsheets manage the game and the people. Absolutely. Especially in a moment like that. You take the numbers, you process them, and you say, okay, but I'm going to make this decision. You don't just blindly follow Mm -hmm. numbers all the time. There has to be some middle ground between the numbers and the eye test. And I wonder what the fallout of this is going to be because you have a bunch of guys on that team that are questioning this decision. You have Blake Snell after the game saying, it's going to be tough for me for a while to accept this. And if you're him... And you're out there and you're dominating and you want to continue and you get pulled and it's part of the reason that you lose the World Series. That's going to be a tough thing to move past. 
it really is a shame. Meanwhile, for the Dodgers, they finally get the World Series after winning the NL West eight years in a row, their third World Series with this group. And Michelle, when you look, and Clayton Kershaw will probably not be back after next year because his contract runs through next year. But you have Bueller, you have Urias, you have Gonsolin, you have May, your best prospect, your your top prospect in L.A., Josiah Gray is a right-handed starting pitcher, so you can have him go. You've got a pretty young and now experienced group led by the World Series MVP in Corey Seager, but you have youth in Cody Bellinger. You have bets there for 12 years. You still have Pollock under contract for a year or two. And you have a really good system built up. I think the Dodgers are going to be great for a long time. Great for a long time. They finally captured that World Series. They were in the mix, as you mentioned, for many years. Should have gotten one prior to this, but they didn't. And I don't think that there's an asterisk on this season or this championship at all. I know some people want to make it out to be that way, but there was a tough road to get there. They had to go through a lot of postseason baseball to eventually win, and they won with the circumstances that were dealt. And never had a positive COVID test until (laughs) last night in Game 7 when Justin Turner is pulled from from the game, but he did return after the series was over to celebrate with his teammates and get his picture taken and kiss his wife and hang with the trophy and things like that. Things that he would only have the opportunity to do once in his lifetime. Isn't that the most 2020 thing of all time, though? Yeah, totally. That even as they're celebrating the World Series, there's a positive COVID yeah, test. COVID and is a hanging COVID... over the head of Major League Baseball. Exactly. And the a COVID-related story steals the show, even after Major League Baseball is able to somehow pull this season off and anoint a champion. But that whole situation was crazy. I, I first and foremost, cannot believe that the test wasn't completed and the results weren't there before the game. It's crazy. It's crazy. You had one job to get the results before the game. And here's the thing. I believe nationally here in St. Louis, whether you're in Chicago or New York this morning, it's controversial. I can pretty much guarantee you that among the 28 players and the coaching staff and the training staff of the Dodgers, that's Justin Turner being out on the field with them is not controversial to them at all. Until they get COVID or maybe their family members get it because everyone was out on the field. That could be the case. Yeah. But I I, (laughs) waking up this morning, though. No, I'm sure no one cares. And athletes, young athletes feel like they're invincible anyway. Sure. And the likelihood of these guys having major repercussions from Justin Turner. And even if they catch it being out there. They're limited. So I'm guessing that those Dodgers players, unless like a little kid gets it and it gets really sick, I don't think that they're really going to be bothered by it. But isn't that the whole point of this entire deal is that it's not about whether I I can can fight this virus. It's about protecting other people who might be more susceptible to it. Here you've got uh, the manager, a cancer survivor in his 40s. And the first thing that he wanted to do was go hug Justin Turner. Well, that, and that's his decision, too, Roberts, knowing yeah. that information. Right. But Justin Turner could have been responsible and said, no, I'm not going to put anybody at risk, especially you. But he didn't. Nobody wanted to be responsible last night. No, not in that moment. It's, no. It's not what you're thinking about. You're thinking about the road and the blood and the sweat and the tears and everything that you endured to get to this point. You're not thinking. And I'm sure that they were thinking, hey, there's no games. It's not like mm-hmm. we have to worry about you playing. Don't worry about it. 
Yeah, I'm sure that's what they were thinking. If there was a Game 7, different conversation. But it is remarkable that after the 60 games of the regular season and the four rounds of the playoffs, that everything that surrounded baseball in 2020, it does end with us talking about COVID-19 again. Of course. Just when we thought we could (laughs) talk about a champion and talk about a dynasty and a legacy and managing decisions, we have to talk about COVID again. That's Michelle. (laughs) I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Tim Neverett is a Dodgers play-by-play man. He's going to get a World Series ring, and he's going to join the Carriker and Smallman show next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Dodgers are world champions. It's Carriker and Smallman with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker, and we head now to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. And a happy man this morning is Dodgers play-by-play man, Tim Neverett. Tim, great to have you with us on the air here in St. Louis after I'm sure what was an absolutely thrilling evening in Los Angeles. Yeah, it was a bit of a long night, but that's okay. You kind of expect it under the circumstances, but appreciate you having me on, Randy and Michelle. Well, thanks for making the time for us after a long night, Tim. And there's so much to decipher and digest from the game last night, but I want to start here. Let's talk about Blake Snell. He was absolutely dominant. He got the early hook after five and one-third scoreless innings last night. What was your reaction when you realized Snell was being taken out of the game at that point? I think it was probably the same as everybody else's who wasn't in that raised dugout. Uh, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, but, but that's what they've been doing all year with him. And, but you know, you're talking about an elimination game of the world series. Sometimes you got to go on a little feel. You got to change your plan a little bit. Um, he was absolutely dominant. And as well as he pitched in game two, he was pitching better here in game six. And he was, I mean, they couldn't hit him. They couldn't touch him. And he was, you know, his slider was as good as it's been all year you know, his fastball had just all kinds of punch to it. I thought that uh, he was definitely going to stay in, probably you know, good enough to go seven innings before they turned it over to the bullpen. But at that particular time, again, they stuck with their formula that had worked for them during the course of the season. Now, Snell had probably been the most uh, outwardly upset about being taken out of a few games, uh, including in the postseason, a little bit too early because as a pitcher, you you have a feel you know, the catcher would have a feel also and say, you know, this guy's good. I mean, his pitch count was really good. It, it just, it, it defied, um, you know, normal baseball logic, but the Rays don't do anything normally. And that's kind of why they went as far as they did this year. I mean, beating the Yankees and, and uh, you know, that, that was just a, a huge time for them. But now what do they do to take that next step? But, yeah, I think I was probably like you saying, you know, this just doesn't make any sense at this point in time, but I'm glad he's coming out. And and Tim, what followed was so Dodger, wasn't it? With Especially this year with Betts being there, getting the double, they're able to run, they, they take advantage of the other team's mistakes, and then they really buckled down after they scored the runs to win the game. That, you talk about a formula, that's the Dodgers formula. Yeah, it took just six pitches. Think about this. Snell dominates for the time he's in the game. And then six pitches after he leaves, it's two to one. And, uh, they, and they didn't look back and the bullpen for the Dodgers closed it down. But yeah, that's, that's incredible. Uh, I've been seeing this act out of Mookie for a while. I was lucky enough to be with him in Boston, uh, through the 2018 season before going to Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I've been telling people he's the best base runner on the planet. He proved that with the 
with the second run with the infield drawn in. Corey Seager at the plate, one out. You know, it's automatic. It's going to be a contact play there, especially with Mookie. With a left-handed batter up, third baseman playing off the bag a little bit, that gave Mookie an extra step, and boy, did he get a great jump and, and scored the game winner. Uh, he, he's just an incredible player all the way around, no matter how you cut it. And, you know, the, there are people who want to argue, okay, who is the best player? Is it Mookie or is it Mike Trout? It's not fair to Mike Trout because Trout's a really good player. He just doesn't have the players around him. Um you know, but with Mookie, <laughs> he is the player that people want to build around. Uh, but I, I think the Dodger fans are just so fortunate now. And, and unfortunately for the National League, they're going to see a lot of Mookie bets over the next dozen years. Tim, we can't talk about the Dodgers in the postseason without talking about Clayton Kershaw. The narrative surrounding him heading into this was, can he get it done? Well, not only did the Dodgers finally win a world championship, Clayton Kershaw had an unbelievable postseason. So how much do you think finally capturing this championship and having a dominant postseason affects his legacy? Uh, I think it's huge. You know, he said after the game, I don't care about the legacy. I don't care about anything. I just care about what's going on right now. But I think there's going to be a time where he'll sit back and he'll He'll start counting up the numbers, and he'll realize how important this, this postseason was to his legacy because he went from a sub-500 pitcher in the postseason at 11-12 and 12 to 13-12. and 12. So if you're over 500 in the postseason and you go 2-0 and 0 in a World Series, I think that flips the script on the legacy part of it. And he was very, very good. I mean, game one, that was vintage Kershaw. Game five was not. He didn't have his best stuff. He had good enough stuff, but it's just fascinating to watch a guy pick his way around the lineup. And the fact that he stepped off the rubber and threw home when Margot was trying to steal home was huge because how many times have you seen a pitcher just continue to pitch to the plate, which means it's a live ball, which also means the batter could put it in play. When you step off like that, if the batter puts it in play, that's an out and the run doesn't count. So it was significant that he had the presence of mind to step off the rubber and throw home. That's maybe a little thing that people really didn't think about at the time. But that's just something that he did and something that he has worked on because he knows he has that slow move to the plate. He knows he has that big stretch that allowed Margot to get down the line and give it a shot to try to steal home. But that being said, everything else he did was really, really good. And and you could tell – after the game, just by the comments from the players and the way that they sought him out to hug him, and uh, you know what his manager Dave Roberts said that it was such an important thing, not just for the franchise, but for a guy like Kershaw who'd been through the wars, who's got a Hall of Fame resume but no title. Now he's finally got that title. Dodgers play-by-play man Tim Neverett with us on 101 ESPN. Uh, I want to get the read on Dave Roberts in L.A. and the people that are Dodger fans or around the club because he seems like such a good guy. And I don't think ever really made a bad move in those 17 and 18 World Series. As a matter of fact, now we know that there was nefarious activity on the part of the teams that the Dodgers did play. But he's a guy from afar, Tim, that I'm I'm really happy for. Yeah, uh, me too. (laughs) He's... I'll tell you what, he's one of the best guys ever. I'll tell you a quick story, just to give you an example. Uh, My first spring training with the Dodgers a couple of years ago, I was sitting in his office, and he said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow, tomorrow morning? I said, "Uh, I don't know, I'll come over to the ballpark like I normally would. He goes, I want you to come in and be part of our team meeting. He goes, I want to introduce you to everybody at once, and I want to talk you up some. And I said, well, that's really nice of you. So so I showed up, and, and, uh, you know, he did that for me. I was the, the only I guess, uh, non-player or staff member that was invited to this team meeting. 
And, and that's been the you know kind of the basis of my relationship with him is that we, we've always gotten along and and uh, you know he went out of his way to make me feel welcome and any time that I want to talk to him no problem it, it, it's been great he's one of the the best most affable managers I've ever been around and you know you did I did feel bad for him losing seventeen and eighteen but at the same time you know he, he's probably got a few more. A few more coming, I think, with yeah. the roster that's assembled and, uh, you know, building around a guy like Mookie Betts and having, you know, a guy like Cody Bellinger around isn't too bad either. So, and Corey Seager especially. But, um, you know, the way that he's treated by the fans, it's funny because the, with all the success that they've had, it's like any baseball market. If there's something that goes wrong, if you lose a game, everybody wants you instantly fired. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, then when you, and then when you win a game, they they love you. So that's just the up and down nature of the relationship between the fans and the manager of a baseball team that has high expectations. So I think that uh, with Dave, uh, you know, he can ride high for a while. I I don't know where this is going to compare for him as a player in 2004 after stealing a base against the Yankees to keep that series alive and then going on to win a World Series. That's probably going to be right up there. But I think his first as a manager probably tops it a little bit. Tim, it wouldn't be... 2020 if we didn't have to talk about COVID-19 in the same breath as the world championship yeah. but you know Justin exactly. Turner they find out in the eighth inning or heading into the eighth inning that he tests positive for COVID-19 he gets pulled from the game he's supposed to isolate at that point but no one stops him from going out to celebrate with his teammates he's out there taking pictures without a mask on do you think that this was a, a bad look for the Dodgers and for baseball or do you think a lot of people are going to say hey they were celebrating in that moment they didn't want to take that away from him they probably weren't thinking correctly how do you think this is going to play among the fans and um, among baseball fans yeah i that's a good question and it was one of those things where you know you're elated because you won the title you're now world series champion and then you know what happened uh after the game you know that he tested positive you're you're hoping it's a false positive but it's not uh, according to reports it's not uh, it, it's just uh i you know, I think it's a microcosm of 2020, and and not to make light of it, but, I mean, think of this. You've got a guy who is pitching a two-hit shutout dominantly who doesn't stay in the game as long as a guy who tests positive for COVID-19. I mean, it's just, it, it's just a picture of what we're going through here in 2020. Um, and, and it does give you bittersweet thoughts about what's going on here because you don't know – if this turns into a a spreading event, it's going to be hard to find out because these players now are going to you know they're going to scatter for the off season, and some of them live right there in Texas. There's a few that live within an hour of the ballpark, so um, you know you, you're just going to uh, the players aren't going to volunteer information if they test positive. But I, I just think that it, it's kind of a a bad thing that was cast over uh, a season, which I think Major League Baseball, in spite of positive tests, in spite of game cancellations, under the circumstances, did an incredible job of getting a season completed. And also think of this. Let's say the Rays came back last night after we know that Turner tested positive. With all the possible exposures, when do you think Game 7 would have been played? Next month? Yeah, I so mean, what you're telling us is that uh, Kevin Cash saved the World Series. <laughs> uh, that's one way to look at it, but I, I, I didn't say that. But, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. That might be one of them. But, yeah, i tell you what, it's just such a weird season. And for a 60-game season, I think, uh, you know, 
Dodgers owner Mark Walters said it when he accepted the trophy. Even though it was 60 games, it seemed a lot longer. You know, he couldn't have been more correct. I mean, just being there every day, uh, you know, the summer camp portion of things, that seemed to go on forever, even though it was short. Uh, I I don't know. 60 games, under the circumstances, that was probably the right number. And Major League Baseball is very fortunate that the season ended last night. Dodger play-by-play man Tim Neverett, final thing here. Uh, the guy who formerly occupied the seat that you sit in now, Vin Scully, around for the Dodgers' first world championship in 32 years. Yeah. Joe Buck referred to, to Vin uh, with two outs last night and talked about how great it was that the Dodgers were going to win with him. What was it like in your booth, and uh, how was Vin discussed? I'm sure he was as the Dodgers approached and came up with their world championship. Well, in his famous line, in a year of the improbable, the impossible has happened. Um, <laughs> he's, he is obviously revered. And I, I can tell you this, when I go over and work television and I sit in the same chair and have the same vantage point at Dodger Stadium that he, he had for so many years, it's not lost on me, believe me. I, I think about it, I, I say pretty much every time I take that chair. Uh and I'm sure that Joe Davis does too, who sits in that seat the majority of the time. But, you know, it's just, uh, I love the fact that he's on uh, social media now doing videos and whatnot and keeping in touch with the fans. Uh, there's nothing wrong about Vin Scully. You can't, you can't find anything wrong with that man in terms of how he is as a person, how he is as a, as a broadcaster, how, you know, his career went. I mean, everybody would want to be him if they want to be a baseball broadcaster, I think, just because of the longevity, because of the fact that, uh, you know, Los Angeles has had so many great sports figures over the years. There was a recent poll by uh, one uh, one of the media outlets, and of all of the sports figures, the great athletes they've had, I mean, the Magic Johnsons, the Kareem Abdul Jabbars, you go up and down the list. Vin Scully was by far the number one sports figure in Los Angeles as voted by people who live there and who have lived there for years. And, and just to give you an idea of how much a part of the organization he still is. I mean, even when you know, I mentioned Mark Walter, the owner accepting the trophy last night, he mentioned Vin in his speech. <laughs> so it's just one of those things that, where he's always going to be present, whether he's there or not. And, uh, you know, we all have our own memories of, of him and uh, conversations you recall that, that we've been lucky enough to have with Vin, but he, he is one of a kind by far. And I know in St. Louis, I mean, you had the great Jack Buck, and as great as Jack Jack was, um, you know, you, you know as a community what that great broadcaster means to the community and how he communicated with the fans for so many years. And, you know, it's the same relationship with Vin, uh, that, that fans not only had, but still have with him uh, and, and will never forget. Tim Neverett, we really appreciate the reaction. We really, really appreciate you getting up so early after the Dodgers won the World Series last night. Thanks so much for your time. Congratulations and enjoy that ring. Well, how do you know I even went to bed? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. And, hey, so keep enjoying the celebration, Tim. Okay. (laughs) Take care. Thank you very much. Tim Neverett, Dodgers play-by-play man with us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. What a gamer to get up and do this interview yeah. with us. We appreciate that yeah. big time. I, I wonder if he did go to bed. He's by the, he and the Dodgers broadcasters did broadcast from their booth at Dodger Stadium. And Joe and 
John Smoltz were the only broadcasters allowed in the ballpark Globe Life Field in Arlington. What does a celebration look like when you're the broadcaster that's not with the team and we're in a pandemic and you can't really go out or do much? Yeah, it's probably a Dodger Stadium thing, right? Yeah. And hopefully they provided food and a lot of champagne to spray on each other. And hopefully. Just had a, a great booth celebration or at least a big luxury box or something like something. that. Had some Dodger dogs. Room to There's room to roam in the stadium yeah, with there, nobody there. There is. Congratulations to the Dodgers. Next up, we've got the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 8.40 a.m. on this Wednesday. I can't believe it's Wednesday. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it is time for the fight. Kyle is Randy's opponent this morning. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning. Kyle, did you stay up and watch that World Series game last night? I did. And what did you think? Were you going for the Rays or the Dodgers? Uh, I was kind of hoping for the Dodgers. And why is that? Uh, I don't know. I just, I felt like Kershaw uh, deserved one, finally. Yeah, no one can really argue with that. He absolutely earned that. All right, Kyle, well, let's get going on the fight here. Question number one, Des Bryant was signed to the Ravens practice squad yesterday. What year did he last play in an NFL game? Was it 2016, 2017, or 2018? Um... I think it was 2017. Question number two, Kyle. Who was the Rays manager when they went to their previous World Series back in 2008? Is it Joe Madden, Lou Pinella, or Larry Rothschild? Joe Madden. Okay, Kyle. Question number three. Who was the 2019 World Series MVP? Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, or Anthony Rendon? Um... I think it was Rendon. And final question for you, Kyle. Which current Dodger is behind Randy Rosarena for the most home runs in a single postseason? Is it Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, or Corey Seager? Uh, Corey Seager. Okay, we're checking score here. Randy's on his way in. As much as I'm sad that baseball's over, Scott, I am kind of pumped that we don't have to watch Randy Rosarena anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know what I was thinking about last night is with even though I felt like the Dodgers had it in the bag after they scored, because of all the game six heroics we've seen, I can't go to sleep. You have to stay have up. You to. have to watch the end of the game. And then the Rays didn't do anything. Still, you have to stay up and watch. It's true. Randy, say good morning to Kyle. Hey, Kyle. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. Okay, Randy, question number one. Des Bryant was signed to the Ravens practice squad yesterday. What year did he last play in an NFL game? I believe it was. I don't think he played in 2018 or 19. I think it might be 2017 that he last played in an NFL game. 
Question number two, Randy. Who was the Rays manager when they went to their last World Series back in 2008? I believe it was Joe Madden. Randy, who was the 2019 World Series MVP? Last year, Steven Strasburg. Uh, and final question for you, Randy. <laughs> we'll which, feel that, Kyle. which current Dodger is behind Randy Rosarena for the most home runs in a single postseason? Most home runs in a single postseason. It's a current Dodger. Um, and he, would he have done it this year? Perhaps. So a Rosarena had 10. Um, it's not Turner. So is it? Let's see. Is it Bellinger? Is it Betts? Oh, hell, I don't know. Um, it obviously had to happen this year, right? Uh, so Because there were so many. So it, Bellinger didn't hit that many. Mookie didn't hit that many. Turner, Seeger. I'll go Seeger. Final answer? Oh, give me the life- lifeline thing. All right, here's your lifeline. Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, or Corey Seeger? Um, yeah, I'll still go with uh, Corey Seeger. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker! Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. What a fight today. Randy, as you heard, Jack Buck's voice got all four correct. Kyle got three correct. Oh, man. Just ed- it was that Rendon one. That's right. You're right. Question number three. So let's give the answers here. The last time Des Bryant played in an NFL game was 2017. He signed with the Saints in 2018, tore his Achilles two days after being signed, so he never technically played a game with them. The Rays manager when they went to the World Series back in 2008 was Joe Madden. As you heard Kyle lament, the World Series MVP in 2019 was Steven Strasburg. He went 5-0 and with a 1.98. ERA in the 2019 postseason. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. And the current Dodger behind Randy Rosarena for most home runs in a single postseason is Corey Seager. He hit eight home runs this postseason. Randy A with 10. All right, Randy A. All right, Randy A. Kyle, great fight. Thanks for playing. Oh, thank you. All right. We appreciate you joining us, and we always appreciate you every day being a part of the fight here on 101 ESPN. And as always, once our show starts at 7 o'clock in the morning, text your name with the word FIGHT to 65780, and maybe Scotty will pick you. Coming up, Justin Turner was on the field last night after his positive COVID-19 test after the Dodgers won the World Series. What will the impact of his being out there be? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hopefully by the next time we play a World Series, we'll have a vaccine for the coronavirus and we won't have the consternation that we're dealing with today with Justin Turner being found to be positive in the second inning last night, being taken out of the game in the seventh inning, and then joining his teammates for the celebration on the field after the game. Pretty surreal event with all of the the things that have happened in our world since last February, pretty surreal to have a World Series that is culminated by COVID-19 being a big part of it. But it's so 2020 
that we would be talking about someone testing positive for COVID as they're celebrating the World Series. Yeah. Doesn't it just seem like it was written in the stars that we would have to continue to talk about COVID and we couldn't just enjoy the fact that Major League Baseball pulled this off and that there right. was a World Series champion crowned last night? But this story, Randy, opens up so many questions. We have way more questions than we have answers when it comes to this positive test. First and foremost, how did he possibly get this if if you, they're in this environment and they're supposed to be following these protocols? How did he test positive? Secondly, why were they not aware that he had tested positive prior to the game? I want to know about the, the timeline there. Was it one test that held it up? Was it just his? Because don't you think that you should be getting the green light? Everyone has tested negative for COVID before they even hit the field? Before they're even around other people? You would think so. You would think that the test would be available to Major League Baseball from their own lab before the second inning. Regarding that timeline, here's Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports. He tested positive yesterday. They got those results back this afternoon. Ran the result, ran the test from today, came back positive again. This is not a case of a false positive. I know that's been out there. It's not that way. Why he went on the field... When he is positive, that is an excellent question. And my understanding from various people is that he was told not to go on the field or asked not to go on the field. He insisted upon it. The Dodgers insisted upon it. And that is why he was out there. And at one point, he did have his mask off. He was mostly masked, but there was a point in the picture when he did take it off. So at least we know that it's a real positive and that he did put people at risk of contracting the disease when he insisted on going back out on the field. And like Ken Rosenthal said, the Dodgers insisted upon it as well. But if he had tested positive the day prior, then they should have been more emphatic and there should have been more of a sense of urgency that they make sure that it was a false positive before he even suits up to go play. I think they threw caution to the wind at this point. I think they've been through so much in baseball, and they've had, and all sports have had, the false positives. Who, who was it? There was a a team that had, an, an NFL team that had a bunch of false positives. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Was it, it might have been the Bengals or something like that. So maybe the, the thought process in baseball is the likelihood is that it's going to be a false positive. I don't know if that's the case, but perhaps that's what they were thinking. The NFL had 77 false positives from that lab in New Jersey. Yeah, there you go. So you had him out on the field, and you'd have to think that Major League Baseball would not look kindly upon this. So, Ken Rosenthal, what is the potential backlash that MLB and the Dodgers will face? I would imagine that there are going to be a lot of questions asked. One is, would they have played tomorrow if the Rays had won this game? During the regular season, when a positive test occurred, they would basically not play the next day, right? That's what would happen. And they would have had to go through all the testing and contact tracing and all the things that they were doing during the regular season. This was in the middle of the World Series. Now, that's one question, obviously. Another question, and that's a hypothetical, we'll never get the answer. But the other question is why the scene that took place tonight was allowed to take place and MLB's reaction to it, if there would be a public reaction at all to what went on. Because clearly, they had protocols in place. He was supposed to be isolated. I believe the commissioner said that on the stage. He was in isolation. And that didn't last very long. And he came out of isolation and sat right next to a cancer survivor manager, who, by the way, said during an interview when Turner hadn't returned to the field yet, said the first thing I want to do is go in and hug his big red head. 
I completely understand that sentiment. I completely understand wanting to have the entirety of your team there to revel in that moment. But this is a serious virus that has taken a lot of lives. And you're putting so many people at risk by going out there. The Dodgers are putting so many people at risk by allowing him to play that game when they know he's tested positive once and they're waiting on the other results. You can't just assume it's a false positive. And not only that, you're not only putting your team and the other team at risk, but now you have all these family members celebrating with you, too. You're potentially exposing them as well. There are a lot of people that believe baseball starting all of this this year was an irresponsible endeavor. And Tim Kirkshen said it's a miracle that baseball was able to finish this year based on the irresponsibility we saw just last night. I kind of have to agree with that, that it is a miracle that baseball was able to get through this season and finish their World Series. I am so shocked that they were able to finish it. I'm so grateful that they were because it was so fun to watch. It brought a lot of joy and an escape to a lot of people and competition for these players. I mean, here's the Dodgers who have been trying to capture this elusive championship for so long. I'm sure they're so grateful that the season was able to happen. And Major League Baseball did do so many great things in order to make sure that this got executed in a safe manner. It's just such a shame that right as they cross the finish line, they're met with this controversy yeah. and that we're having to talk about it or that this this moment for them, which should be a very proud moment for them as a league, that they were able to pull this off as after outbreaks in Miami and St. Louis and tests that were being delayed. Remember around the 4th of July, I believe it was, where people didn't Mm -hmm. even show up to do the tests. They had a lot of hiccups along the way, and it really is a shame that in that moment that they weren't more determined to make sure that he stays isolated and not allow him to get on the field or not allow him to play period until they knew that he had tested negative so that we would, we didn't even have to be met with a situation like this. Turner did tweet last night after the game. He wrote, thanks to everyone reaching out. I feel great. No symptoms at all. Just experienced every emotion you can possibly imagine. Can't believe I couldn't be out there to celebrate with my guys. So proud of this team and unbelievably happy for the city of LA. So he did get a a chance to tweet. All right, one other thing about Justin Turner, Michelle. Yes. He's a free agent. They have a young third baseman that they like, Edwin Rios, behind him. They also have one of their prospects that's a third baseman. Their number three prospect, Cody Hesse, is a third baseman. And by the way, Gavin Lux is still going to join their team, too. So if you're the Cardinals and you want to win in 2021 and He's out there as a free agent. If you're the Cardinals, would you sign? Would you approach Justin Turner? Sure. Why wouldn't you? I would. Well, because he costs too much. <laughs> oh. And you're trying to save that money. Problem. Yeah. Yeah. I would s- still open the door to have those talks. I agree. I would find out what the asking price is. Yeah. I, I would rather have him playing third base for this team than Matt Carpenter. And if they have the DH... You can play Edmund at third, and you can have Turner DH sometimes, play third sometimes. I think he's a winner, and I would like to have him on my team. He is a winner. You'd have to. As proven last night. And and he he might just decide, you know what, if the Dodgers don't want to have me, I'll just, I'll quit playing. He grew up in L.A. He loves being a Dodger, and he is 35 years old. He's going to turn 36 next month. So... It could be that if he doesn't get signed by or approached by the Dodgers that he just hangs them up. 
perhaps. I just think it's in the Cardinals' best interest to explore all options. It is. Not saying that it would be the right move for them from a financial standpoint or whatever it is that they're looking at, but I just think that they should be surveying the landscape and seeing anyone that's potentially available, crunch the numbers, both production-wise and financially, and try and make a move to improve this team. Coming up, today's big thing includes this date in Cardinal postseason history, plus is there a National League team that's going to challenge the Dodgers next year? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Well, Michelle, I'm pretty excited about tonight after that dominant performance by Snell, and I'm bummed out that I went to bed in the fifth after the fifth inning. But after that dominant performance by Snell, I, I love a Game 7 tonight, so oh. it's going to be pretty cool. So um, I, I guess I have to be the one to tell you? What is it? What do you got to tell me, Michelle? They, they took him out, Randy. There's but, no, there's no but game Michelle, seven. he was dominant. He, he was, Randy, but... They, they won because he was... Blake Snell was great. He was great. He was dominant. He was dealing. But that's not how it ended. I, I hate to tell you, Randy. What happened? Five and a third scoreless? Yeah, great. Hooked. Hooked. No! Yes. Randy, the no. computer said it. The numbers, the analytics. They said, hey... Follow the formula. Don't trust your eyes. Trust the computers. Listen to us. Darn. Don't listen to what your brain and your heart and everyone in America is telling you to do. Listen to us. So he did? So he did. Darn it. Kevin Cash, he listened to the computers. And so his team lost? They lost, yes. The Dodgers won the World Series. (laughs) They lost. 3-1 over the Rays last night. It's 9.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Hey. It happens. We we remember well a series that ended in five games because of a similar situation where everybody that was watching from afar said, No! You're talking about man, Michael Walker? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we... This World Series, this postseason, has just been Cardinals fans living and reliving nightmares. Randy Rosarena, a guy that they had on their team, mm-hmm. we had to watch him. Absolutely dominate. Make history, in fact, mm-hmm. on the biggest stage. Yeah. And now we're having to relive the Travis Ishikawa, Michael Waka moment. Well. You want to throw a big poppy in the mix, too? Let's just relive all of our past nightmares. So we're going to talk about sports nightmares later in the week. And one of those is that at one point in that series, big poppy, David Ortiz, was 10 for 13. <laughs> and they still kept pitching to him. <laughs> Amazing. All right, time for 101 ESPN presents this date in Cardinal postseason history. Looking back at the journeys to 11 world championships. Brought to you by Woods Basement Systems, the highest rated, most reviewed, all things basement experts. WoodsBasementSystems.com on 101 ESPN. All right, Michelle. October 28th, 2011, Game 7. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals and the Rangers. Each team scored two in the first inning. David Freeze with a two-run double for the Cardinals. And it was a 2-2 game heading into the bottom of the third when Alan Craig untied it. Craig hits it in the air to right. Back at the wall. The Cardinals have taken a Game 7. 3-2 lead and a home run by Alan Craig. Cardinals added some insurance with a bases-loaded walk and a hit-by-pitch in the fifth inning. And then after six, Chris Carpenter, who allowed two runs in six innings, was taken out by Tony La Russa. The bullpen took over. It was 
a 5-2 game when Yachty drove home a run with a single in the seventh to make it 6-2. In the bottom of the ninth, Jason Mott got the first two and faced David Murphy. In the air to left, well hit. Back is Craig. What a team. What a ride. The Cardinals are world champs in 2011. The greatest comeback in the history of baseball starting in August, really in September, and the Cardinals were able to win the world championship nonetheless. What a team. What a ride. As Joe Buck said, that was an unbelievable postseason, right? And as you mentioned, Ten and a half games out. It was a roller coaster of emotions culminating in a championship. You know what a bummer is for me? And it's hard to have a bummer when you win a world championship. But Matt Holiday getting hurt in game six mm-hmm. and not having the opportunity to play game seven. Alan Craig getting the home run that uh, put the Cardinals ahead, the game-winning home run, and then catching that final out. Right. It could have been Matt Holiday. Could have, but don't you think everything happens for a reason? And Alan Craig was supposed to be in that spot because he came up big for the team in that game? Yes, the manifest destiny. He was in the right place at the right time. I just, I feel bad for Mel Holiday that he wasn't able to get out on the field and be on the field when the Cardinals won it. Because he he was a great Cardinal, and I think because he didn't have that huge World Series moment, people kind of, they, they don't look upon his career as they should. I'll put it that way. Perhaps, but there's some respect on Matt Holliday's name. He was a great Cardinal. Yeah. Randy, do you remember, speaking of Alan Craig, the great Mike Ryder brought this up to us the other day. Do you remember Torty Craig? Oh, yeah. His I forgot tortoise? about that. Do it for Torty. Remember yeah. Torty? I wonder where Torty is today. I'll bet she's still alive. Didn't we find out that turtles live for a long time? Yeah, so, some of them up to 80 years. So, yeah, I, I would think that that would be the case, that he would still be around. That was a fun team. Yeah, it was. By the way, interesting lineup that night for Game 7 of a World Series. Ryan Terrio led off for the Cardinals. Alan Craig hit second. Albert Pujols hit third. Berkman hit fourth. David Freeze hit fifth. Yachty hit sixth. Fercal hit seventh. Skip Schumacher hit eighth. And Carpenter hit ninth. People say that Mike Matheny took over a Ferrari. He even said that. Mm-hmm. Mike Matheny never had Ryan Terrio, who hit leadoff in that game. He never had Albert Pujols. He never had a healthy Lance Berkman. He never had a healthy Rafael Fercal. He he had Schumacher. Uh, He never had a healthy Chris Carpenter. And then the guys that followed Carpenter, he never had Arthur Rhodes. He never had Octavio Dotel. He had Lynn as a starter. And he never had Nick Punto, who was the second baseman to end that game. So... I think it's kind of a little bit disingenuous to say that Mike Matheny took over a, a he took over a world championship franchise. He did not take over a world championship team. Let's what's the comparison there? Even just removing Albert Pujols from that equation. How about it, Pujols and Carpenter? Okay, so it's a Ferrari without the engine. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that's a safe way to put it. The body of the car is the same. It doesn't drive as fast. And that's, by the way, not a defense of Mike. I think we can all nitpick. We just did. Yeah, we just uh, did. His moves. But I do think it's kind of unfair to say that he took over uh, a world championship team because he did not. But they were still a team that contended and went to the the World Series a year later. I was just saying, went to the postseason many times, went to the World Series, and those decisions that we isolated had nothing to do with with the team that he took over. No, that's exactly right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's this date in Cardinal history. 
because that's the latest date that the Cardinals have ever played, October 28th, we've got some special things coming for you tomorrow and Friday in regards to Cardinal postseason history. But coming up next, we've got You're Killing Me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, this is going to be fun. You're killing me, Small. Is it going to be fun, Randy? Because we're leading off talking about you. Oh, no. We haven't mentioned this once today, so we have to lead off You're Killing Me, Smalls, with the fact that you are killing me. We, as a collective show unit, decided to do 75 Hard. It's yeah, this did. very tough program where for 75 days you have to follow an, a pretty strict list of rules, and there's no exceptions. One of the things is to drink a gallon of water. If you have one ounce less than a gallon, you didn't do it, and you have to start over the next day. You have to read 10 pages of nonfiction a night. If you read nine, if you fall asleep and you didn't get it, it doesn't count. There's all these other things we have to do. Scott was out after three days, even though I don't even know if he really did it for the first two, or if he's just pulling our leg and saying, yeah, I did the workouts. I don't even know if he did. You, however, were my partner in crime here. We were doing this together. You were cruising. You were like Blake Snell. (laughs) You were dominating, absolutely dominating this. Here, I'm coming in complaining about the weather. You're keeping me motivated. I'm complaining about the diet, about no wine. You're keeping me on track. And then boom, you got the hook last night, just like Blake Snell. I did, early. yeah. Kevin Cash came and got me. So it's 30. And by the way, the day before yesterday, it was like 45 degrees or something like that and pouring. And I was able to go and walk the steps at Creepcore Park. Got my 45-minute workout in, no problem at all. I was out there for 55 minutes. Wow. Yesterday was 39 degrees and raining. And I'm thinking, okay, well, my phone was saying that the rain is going to stop around 3 o'clock. And I was, I said, okay, I'll get it now. I'll, I'll get it then. 15% chance. It never stopped raining. And so it's pouring and it's 39, 38 degrees. And I'm still waiting saying, okay, I can do it later. Well, finally it got to a point where it started getting dark. And I said, oh, damn it. <laughs> and the other thing that happened, Michelle, it was like a horrible convergence, was I finished reading a book. And it's a great book by our friend of the show, John O'Leary, called yes. In Awe. Read his new book. But I finished it, and I didn't have a replacement book either to read 10 pages of self-improvement. And so I, 40% of the things we had to do, I was fine with the diet, fine with the water, fine. If I would have taken the picture, I would have been fine taking that. But 40% of what we have to do for 75 hard, I didn't do. It's a program that is completely based on mental toughness, and I'm a loser. I just have no <laughs> mental toughness whatsoever. You mean to tell me that there's not one nonfiction book in the character household that a coach has written that you couldn't read about oh, yeah. leadership? Oh, yeah, there is. Okay, I, I could have done that. Could have done that. Here I am getting up at 4.30 in the morning to get my run-in outside before the show because I didn't want to let you down, Randy. I, I know, and I feel like I did let you down. <laughs> But I'm also willing to admit that I'm a loser. You are not a loser. You did it for 27 days. You're a winner in my book. (laughs) And Scott may have done it for a half a day or whatever he did. Still a winner in my book, too. Thank you, guys. Yeah, of course. But now here I am. The cheese stands alone. If we would have taken a poll, if people would have bet who would be the first one out, everyone would have bet me. And here I am. I would have bet Scotty would would have been the first one out. Really? Yeah, Yeah, I bet me too. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I forgot that you like fast food. So that was a challenge for you. And alcohol a lot. Yeah, (laughs) I understand. Me too. Andy Frisella, who has started the 75 
hard 75 hard challenge uh, from supplement superstores says if you stop you have to start over again i'll start over again in march when you're gonna try to do it again oh yeah i will but i'm i'm not gonna go outside when it's 30 degrees and pouring or snowing or anything like that and try to get a workout in it's just not me i told you we should have started this in june if we start in june i really do cruise oh yeah if it's june july and half of august nothing to it no problem I'm, but see, you're more mentally tough than I am because if I was out, we're done. This was a fun experiment. I didn't complete it. I would never try to reboot it. Are ever. you going to keep going? Yes, because I have all these other people that are doing it now. Okay. My trainer, Paul, at the Missouri Athletic Club, he's in. I have listeners who have talked to me on social media that they're in. They started it with us. So I feel like on behalf of them and all these people I know that are doing it, you're I can't let mascot. them down. Yeah. And our show. Yeah, I can't let the show down. Yeah, that's right. You're now, the last, last one standing. I don't want to put a lot of pressure on myself, though, because I am a weather wuss. And it's going to get bad here soon. As I looked, though. It's, it's supposed to be already. sunny next week. Sunny next week. Okay. Warmer. I'm telling myself I'll this. still have my days. I'm just not going to do it all the time. <laughs> but now you're going to come in here with chocolate-covered almonds. You're probably going to be bringing in I will not do that some to sort you of treats. Until... December. Yeah, I was going to ask you uh, this off the air, Randy, with uh, there being a potential of a candy draft tomorrow. So are we allowed to bring the candy in now or is that a no-go? Oh, my God. Torturing me. But go ahead. I want you to enjoy it. And I'm going to just sit here and revel in my mental toughness while you guys enjoy delicious candies. By the way, (laughs) while I wasn't, while I was waiting for the rain to stop, I will say, I was building my candy draft war room. Oh, Interesting, because mm-hmm. you know that I already did that on my podcast, and I have a pretty solid big board. I do too. I feel good about mine. Do you? Mm-hmm. How are we going to determine who gets the first pick? Coin flip. Okay, I was going to suggest that we do a little rock paper scissors tournament. That's here. great. I love that idea. We'll do that tomorrow before we start. Best of three. Yep. One, two, three, shoot. That's how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll determine that tomorrow. Okay. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy. Well, we always talk about St. Louis being. The best sports town in America. Mm -hmm. And one of the things missing from that title is an NBA team. Kansas City, our friends in Missouri, are pushing to get the Toronto Raptors to play in Kansas City this upcoming season. So because of the travel restrictions, because of the pandemic, travel from the U.S. into Canada is banned due to COVID-19. So there's discussions about what's going to happen with the Toronto Raptors. Where are they going to play? Well, Kansas City is making a push, Randy. They're saying, hey, come play in the great state of Missouri. Patrick Mahomes is tweeting, bring the Raptors to KC. You have the Kansas City mayor, Quentin Lucas. He's chiming in, tweeting, saying, hey, the Raptors in Kansas City would be a perfect match. We're going to make sure the right folks know that KCMO and the T-Mobile Center are ready. So they're making this push. Where is St. Louis? We should be making the push. Maybe St. Louis recognizes, and I've got two points here. Maybe St. Louis recognizes that you really can't make much of an impact when you're going to max out at 4,500 or 5,000 people in the building for the home games that you play. Because even now, Kansas City, what do they have, 12,000 Chiefs fans in the game, in the stadium? Something like that. I also think that the pursuit of St. Louis isn't just for a one-year NBA fix. It's my strong belief that St. Louis entities are pursuing a permanent NBA franchise rather than just a one-year fix. They're pursuing it right now? Yes. What a tidbit of information, Randy. Yeah. But don't you think... Yes, thank you for the 
party horns. Don't you think having the Raptors come here and temporarily play would be a great thing to highlight how St. Louis would be a great NBA city? It certainly worked for OKC when they got the former Charlotte Hornets during Hurricane Katrina in 2005, but they sold out their building on a regular basis. Now you can't sell out your building. Now maybe that'll change, by probably won't change by the end of the NBA season. So it'll be cool to have a team in your building, but you have, might have 4,500 people that show up and, and and are allowed to come into the building and watch it. But you could look at local TV ratings, merchandise sales, things of that nature. Sure. St. Louis shows yeah. up in a lot of ways. Right. St. Louis would be great. And it all started with the Kansas City mayor. It's incumbent upon our mayor, Lida Krusen, to f- fire the first salvo in trying to get the Raptors to play here for a year. True, but I also think when you have the star power and the face of the NFL and Patrick Mahomes making a public push for this, how is St. Louis going to compete with that? Uh, I think we've got some pretty good people that could help us out. Who in St. Louis has as much star power as Patrick Mahomes right now? Uh, Probably nobody right now, but in the NBA, maybe Jason Tatum. And Bradley Beal. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good call. Thanks. But I still think Patrick Mahomes has more juice than either one of them. Yeah, he owns part of a baseball franchise. And he's the face of the most watched league in the country. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, that helps. And he's a Super Bowl champion. Yeah. Good for him. He's got it going on. He does. You're killing me, Smalls. You know who doesn't have it going on, Randy? The Dallas Cowboys. Oh, kind of scuffling. What a disaster. Well, Jerry Jones was doing an interview in Dallas, Randy, on KRLD, and as any good interviewer would, they had to ask him about the state of the team. So they were asking him in the interview about a possible void in leadership. This is coming right after the blowout loss to the Washington football team, and Jerry didn't like that question. Does your team have a leadership void? Um, uh, When uh, uh where in the offensive line, where you, just o- just overall where, when these, but but seriously, seriously, where where do you, where would you have a leadership void? Is it an experience void? Is it a talent void? Is it a leadership void? I'm not trying to be cute here. The answer is yeah. no. The answer yeah. is no. I, I'm asking. A, ju- there's not a. Well, just shut up and let me answer. No. Shut up. No. Let him answer. No. Come on, Jerry. And by the way, I believe he did apologize at the end of the segment. He did. But you should never. Well, I guess you can say shut up and let me answer. He can. He's the owner of the team. I was going to say, he's the guest. He's the owner. Mm -hmm. He certainly can say whatever he wants, but I think he tipped his hand. You revealed yourself that you're frustrated. Right. You're saying no, but your demeanor and your tone is indicating yes. And if I'm in Dallas wondering about a leadership void, I'm wondering about at the very top if there is a quality leadership void, not a leadership void, because you can have bad leadership. And I think that's what I would ask is, should you have somebody else running the show here? And I'm not sure if that's the case or not. They they have exactly zero of their starting offensive linemen. Yeah. And they're missing their starting quarterback and their defense does suck. It's a lot to overcome. Yeah. You're killing me, Small. Well, speaking of their defense, Randy, and quotes coming out of an interview or a press conference. Cowboys defensive coordinator Mike Nolan, he was doing a press conference and something happened during it. He had to stop the press conference because he was dealing with some physical pain. And here's what happened. That, uh, obviously the frustration for him as well is just, you know, look, when he misses them, nobody, whoops, excuse me. I got something in my eye. Um, just had some Tabasco on my finger and it went in my eye. That wasn't good. Oh, never good. It's terrible. Jeez. I'm sorry. 
Give me one second. More painful, Tabasco and your eye or your defense allowing a league-high 243 points in seven games? I would go with the defense allowing 243 <laughs> points in seven games. It is nice to see that something on the Cowboys is hot, though. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had hot sauce in your I eye? I never have. I never have either, but my uncle makes, shout out Uncle Terry, makes famous guacamole. And one time he was chopping jalapenos mm. and accidentally touched his eye and got jalapeno juice in his eye. I was a kid, and I will never forget the pain on his face. It's not a good day. Did he scream? Uncle Terry. Oh, yeah, it was bad. It yeah. was bad. So I feel badly for Mike Nolan. Hot sauce in his eye, especially when you're on camera, you're in front mm-hmm. of all of these people. But yeah, not a good, not but, a good look. No, it, it, that kind of thing happens when you're the Cowboys defensive coordinator this year. It just does. My follow-up question would be, what were you eating? What did you put Tabasco on? Was yeah. it a breakfast burrito? He's in Texas. Pizza? Yeah. All sorts of options Something there. Something Texasy. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. And thank you for tuning in to Carriker and Smallman. Next up, Bob Nightingale of USA Today on the 2020 World Champion Dodgers coming your way. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Get right to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Friend of the show, Bob Nightingale of USA Today joins us on the heels of the Dodgers winning their first world championship since 1988. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker with you. And Bob, thanks for taking some time this morning. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, there have been several years, Bob, where the Dodgers have been the best team but didn't win. Is it is it simple enough to say that Mookie Betts was what put them over the top? It really is, Randy. I mean, the uh, you know, they had David Price. They would have won this thing even earlier. But, of course, he opted out before the season started. But, yeah, they were the best team. And uh, and you saw the way Mookie Betts played you know, during the season. He probably finished second in the MVP race. You know, obviously, he had a great, great uh, postseason. So, Bob, one of the storylines coming out of the game last night that we're talking about all day is Blake Snell. He was dominant, five and a third scoreless innings, but he got the hook from his manager, Kevin Cash. And Randy and I were talking about this during the break. It seems like and not only just because of the outcome, but in the moment, it was universally panned as the wrong decision. What did you make of it at the time? Yeah, they had been doing this thing all year long, and you know, Snell had not pitched uh, a full six innings since last July. Uh, you know, hadn't pitched seven innings in about two years. But yeah, and it backfired. I mean, he was just so dominant. And then after the game, the Dodgers players were saying how thrilled they were when they took him out because he had no chance. So I think it's a you know a matter of just the, their analytics and driving the decision and just backfired an epic pattern. Bob yeah. Tony Larusa always used to talk to us about how he might make a difference in two or three games. It was minimal for a manager during the regular season, but it does seem like when the pressure is on in a World Series type atmosphere, that's when a manager can win or lose you a game and ultimately a a series. And I kind of think that's what Kevin Cash did last night. And it's, it's perhaps not his fault because don't you kind of think that this is something that is from the top the front office says, Hey, we don't want to see any pitcher Blake Snell or whomever pitching a third time through the lineup. No, you're right. Yeah. People jumping him, uh, Kevin Cash, but it was an organizational decision. Uh, just like in the past for Dave Roberts, which Chris asked for moving, removing Rich Hill a couple of years ago, and it definitely was like that. You know, nowadays the front office has so much uh, pull in that. I mean, 
and he was cruising in, uh, you know, we already had Nick Anderson warming up. So, uh, you know, when the top of the order came up, you saw him spread the dugout. He'd even talk to uh, Snell, ask him how he's feeling, you know, just remove them, even though the top of the order, they got over six or six strikeouts. Bob, how do you think that that is going to affect the team moving forward? Because Blake Snell was pretty vocal about how he was disappointed and upset and how he wanted the ball. His teammates were saying, hey, we were watching him. He was dealing. We didn't understand the move at the time, even though that's the formula. So when your manager makes a decision that directly impacts the game and you lose, how do you think that that clubhouse moves forward after that? Well, they were really disappointed. I mean, you know, Kevin Hiermeyer even came out, lashed out against it. Uh, you know, that's what they do. I mean, they've been a very successful organization. You know, got them to game six of the World Series, doing it that way. But, yeah, I think there'll be some frustration. And maybe going forward during the winter, you know, Kevin Cash will talk to uh, the front office and say, you know, maybe we shouldn't be so rigid in doing these things. You know, what if I, what if I start leaving him in more? In more? I remember now, like I said, I, Blake Snell has never gone even eight innings. Uh, so he's, he's used to that process. He probably knew it was going to come. USA Today's Bob Nightingale with us on 101 ESPN. And, Bob, you look at the Dodgers with all their youth, Seager winning World Series MVP. They've got MVPs in bets and in uh, Cody Bellinger. Uh, they've got Gavin Lux on the way. Turner is going to be a free agent. Trinan, Jock Peterson, Kike, Baez, and Wood. But Brewster Gratterall can be their closer. They've got tons of good young pitching. It doesn't seem like with the front office and the resources the Dodgers have, they're going anywhere soon. No, it, it, it reminds you of the uh, Atlanta Braves back in the 90s. Braves won 14 straight division titles. Uh, five pennants, just one World Series. And these are the modern-day Braves. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be heavily favored. I know the Padres are coming on, but heavily favored to win the uh, National League West again and get in the playoffs. The deep farm system. Uh, yeah, do things right. I, I, you know, I assume they'll bring back Justin Turner. Uh, you know, all the resources, money-wise too. But it, this is, this really wasn't about the money. Uh, it's just that they do things right over there. I mean, they they win plus develop at the same time. I remember standing in the Dodgers dugout before the 2013 playoff series between the Cards and Dodgers got underway. And Stan Kasten pointed over to the Cardinal dugout and said, that's our model over there. That's what we want to be. We want to build a system and then supplement around our young guys with veteran players. And they've actually done it better than the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly winning more than the uh, you know, Cardinals from major league level. You know, you know, the Cardinals are a consistent winner. But yeah, that's true. I mean, I think everybody regards the, uh, you know, the Cardinals as, as a model franchise. But now it's kind of shifted over toward the Dodgers being that franchise. You know, granted, the Dodgers do have a, you know, a ton of money. Uh, you know, they still have that $8 billion TV contract. But, you know, they, they've never been the uh, top, of, uh, top of all the spending or anything like that. Uh, they haven't been number one in, in quite a few years. So, but they, they, a lot of homegrown guys, as we saw with Seager and Bellinger and everybody else on that team. Bob, Justin Turner gets pulled from the game last night because he has a positive COVID-19 test. Can you take us through how this went down? What was the timeline of him not getting that result, that second result before the game and being allowed to play, not knowing if he had tested positive or not? Yeah, it was a complete mess. I mean, they were notified in the second inning that some tests came back on him that were inconclusive. It should have come back before the game. Uh, It wasn't. 
So they did a, uh, you know, a speedy test there for that, sent it back to Utah. And in the seventh inning, you know, MLB called up the uh, owner who called the president, uh, Freeman, and who told Dave Roberts, get him out of the game right now. He tested positive. Goes out of the game, is quarantined in a, uh, a trainer's room. And it, was put, it was ordered to, you know, stay put. Uh, you know, you're not going to field to celebrate. Uh, sorry about that. And once the trophy presentation was over, you had to go out anyway. And, uh, you know, there he was holding the trophy, taking pictures. Uh, he's right there in the front row with his mask off. So, and right now, the, the Dodgers and the families uh, were undergoing tests last night, undergoing tests this morning to see if they ever get on a plane to, to go back to California. Uh, you know, if, if there had been a Game 7, it wasn't going to be today. It would have been pushed back several days. Final thing for Bob Nightingale of USA Today. As we went through this postseason and you talked to people in baseball about Randy Arozarena, what do you think he'll become? Based on your reporting and your researching, what do people think that Randy Arosa is going to be? Arozarena. Yeah, they really don't know. Yeah, they really don't know. I mean, he didn't have a strong one-month September. Obviously, a, a fantastic postseason. Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, obviously, he had trouble with the... Uh, you know, breaking balls, he's, you know, pieces on fastball. Uh, when uh, Dylan Borlo came in, you know, struck him out in three pitches, uh, all on change-ups. So uh, people are going to adjust to him. We'll see if he adjusts back. But, you know, I think it's, you know, way too, too premature to say he's the next Reggie Jackson or something. Uh, let's give it some time. Bob, always good to hear your voice. Great work during the World Series and during the postseason in general. And thanks so much for your time throughout the course of this weird season. We'll talk to you soon. All right, sounds great. Take care. Thanks, Thanks for See ya. That is our friend Bob Nightingale of USA Today on 101 ESPN. Well, it's nice to hear somebody say that we don't know if a Rosarain is going to be a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody seems to agree that he is. Yeah, I was going to say. There's one. <laughs> you can take a rational approach. And listen, we all are going to have to wait to see what Matthew Libertor becomes. Mm-hmm. But right now, in the immediacy of the moment, when it's certainly an area of need on your team... And you had a guy like this in your system. It is fair for us to wonder what they gave up. They could have reasonably given the World Series MVP to a player on the losing team last night. Right? (laughs) Yeah. He was that good. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, Scoops with Danny Mac. And Dan will join us to cross things over towards his show here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mack with the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest. Dan McLaughlin coming up at the top of the hour. It's Carriker and Smallman, and Dan is here to cross things over toward his show. And now we have a baseball world champion. This Was it Buster only that said we have a uh, 5% chance of starting and a 0% chance of finishing? And I think the farm is uh, on sale now. Yeah, Remember he, said, so, he, yeah. he said, I'll sell the dairy farm, I yeah. think is what he said. I, I can't believe that we got to this point. I tried to be an optimist. As I've told you guys, I was always hopeful that they would play until they tell me no. But, you know, personally, I was always kind of, eh, I'm not so sure this is going to work. Especially, as we've talked about in July, when the testing was over the 4th of July, they weren't getting the test in, and and you were just hearing some of the things that they were trying to get through just to get to the point of even playing in summer camp. And now they awarded a uh, a world championship. So you applaud uh, Major League Baseball for getting through this. And and, um, and I think the the sport needed to get through it. You, you didn't want to go dark for 17 months, that's for sure. And it was a great postseason. Uh, obviously, baseball, maybe 
all of us learned a ton about COVID-19 more than we ever wanted to. And it, it, it will be applied to going forward 2021 and trying to get a season going again. Um, but I'm just happy that um, we were able to get baseball this year for the great fans of the sport. And speaking of COVID-19, of course, we couldn't have just this oh moment. Of course, baseball couldn't just cross the finish line and anoint a champion without having a COVID-19 storyline pop yeah. up. But what did you make of finding out that Justin Turner had tested positive, that the results came through during the game, and then he went out there to celebrate with his teammates? The, the results during the game didn't surprise me that because I had heard that that happened all the time. Like Nick Sinzel had had that issue with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, and I'd heard that that would happen periodically or really a lot, you know, that, that there would be times that there was the, the rapid test and then there was the tests that were coming in. And again, I'm not, an, not a doctor, I'm not a scientist. I would just hear these things. Um, you'd have the rapid tests. You'd have to wait for those. But those are more instantaneous than the ones that were going to the lab in Utah, which were more um, uh, the percentages of those to, to be positive or negative to get the right result were, were better. So that didn't surprise me of the timing of it. I really wasn't. Um, it, it's just unfortunate that the way that it all transpired afterwards. I, I thought it was a terrible look for baseball once they had the celebration and that he was back out there. I just, I just didn't think it was very smart. There's just too many people that were on the field at that point, and I'm not talking just about the players. I'm talking about everybody, uh, cameramen and women, technicians. Uh, personnel for Major League Baseball, all those things. I, I just, I, it's not a good look. I wonder what baseball could have done and what they will do. I, I wonder if there was somebody whose responsibility it was last night to make sure that he wasn't on the field. My understanding in reading some of the stories this morning is that they did try to tell him, don't go back out there. Mm-hmm. That they did. And he, he feels... A, that he's indestructible, and B, that he doesn't really concern himself with the health of those around him. And he was next to Dave Roberts, who's mm-hmm. a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, it just, in the scheme of things, it's just not a not a good look. I mean, you can't do that. I, I And his mask was off. And, um, yeah, it's just unfortunate that when you had, what, 58 or 59 days of, of the negative tests, and there you have mm-hmm. the biggest moment of the season you award a champion and then all of a sudden that is becoming the story today and i guess as you advance the story you got to wonder about what happens now with those that were around him contact tracing um uh he can't get on the plane to go back home to la there's no way that would happen uh with certain members of the team quarantine inside the hotel now or do they just hop in a car and drive home yeah. i mean that's that's the other way to do it i mean there's no i would assume that that this is my guess is that Major League Baseball, the Dodgers can't make the players stay in the hotel now. Now that's up to them, but they could hop into a car with their families and, and drive back to their respective homes. I guess Kershaw, they could do that. Easy for him. Mm-hmm. Bets to Nashville. Max Muncy lives in Dallas. So. Yeah, I guess you could do that. Yeah. Here's an interesting note about the Dodgers. When you are deep enough so that you can go through a six-game series and have Kenley Jansen and Joe <laughs> Kelly, talented guys, basically be non-factors. You're pretty good. You're pretty darn good. <laughs> You're pretty good. I, I thought, remember what I said yesterday? I thought the key, first of all, I did think it would go seven games because I thought Snell would be the reason why it'd go seven games. I thought the decision was terrible. I think analytics plays a part in this game, but this was this was taken way too far. Yeah. You, you had to You had to keep going with Snell. And if you were going to go to your bullpen, I didn't like Anderson coming in. Even though he's been great in the regular season, look at recent history. Six straight games allowing a run. 
didn't like it. I just didn't think it was smart. And then the other part was if Mookie Betts gets on some way, somehow, he changes the game. Mm-hmm. He he's might be the best player in the world right now. Make a pay, make case. I mean, he and Mike Trout are unbelievable players. He's a difference maker, and he was the difference. His his play and running from third last night was awesome. It was just great. The read, his base running, yeah. his speed. Then he hits a home run. I mean, he's just he's just a fabulous player. And by the way, his splits against left-handers aren't as good as they are against right-handers. Yeah. So from that perspective, it would have been smart to keep Snell in the game too. And Snell, no one was hitting his fastball. And I know that he had not gone six innings since July of last year. So I get the numbers. I understand that. And hindsight 2020, let's say he kept him in. And he Kevin, kept him in. And Kevin Cash says, well, I kept him in and he got beat up. And everybody would say, well, how could you do that? Because you hadn't done it all year. I, I get it. I mean, there's two sides to it. But the eye test told me that was your best chance to win. They weren't hitting his fastball. I understand it was a third time coming up against the top of their lineup. But they hadn't touched his fastball. And he was still throwing upper 90s. And he was in a pitch count of the low 70s. There's a place for analytics. There's a place for the eye test. And somewhere in between is where you have to make the decision. One thing Whitey always said, he said, he said approach it this way. When we would ask him about pitching changes, who is going to be my best pitcher for that upcoming at bat? Who's the best pitcher on my team for that upcoming at bat? Well, the other and thing for that, it was going to be Snell. The other thing too, though, is when they got through three innings, Tampa Bay with a lead, they don't lose, mm-hmm. and they lost last night. It was one of the rare times that they lost in this entire season that they lost because they could turn it over their bullpen and win those games, and they just didn't didn't work last night. So sometimes the numbers aren't everything, is what you're telling me? That's the way I look at it. I, I It's just that, yeah, I, I just would not have pulled him. I, I just thought he was awesome last night, Snell was. It's hard to imagine that the Dodgers won't be great for a long time, too, with yeah. all of their youth. and they, They've got bets for 12 years. They're going to keep Bellinger, you know that. They might lose Peterson this offseason, but they've got young outfielders coming along. They've got that... Uh, the the young two young third baseman. Yeah, you can young. let Turner walk if you yep, wanted. Yep. He's thirty six. Right. Gavin Lux is going to be good. You've got Muncie, who's young and under contract. Will Smith is emerging. Ted Simmons last year at your event said that that's the catcher that he likes. The young catcher yep. that he likes watching the most. So they've got a lot of good things happening there. Yeah, and uh, they built it on. Well, it, I think it's going to be interesting as, as we look forward to, after next year, the collective bargaining agreement, um, do we have a cap? Do we need a cap? I mean, if you start looking at how Tampa Bay does it, that's one way to, to build a team where you don't have the payroll of, you know, you got Clayton Kershaw and Mookie Betts making up essentially the entire payroll of the Rays. And you go back to it, is mm-hmm. is that right? Is that fair? Or is this just the, the cards you played and you gotta you got to be very creative? But if I'm the players... And I get a floor also. That's the key. Then I'm going to look at that. Because if the players would have taken the 50-50 split with the floor, it was a 50-50 revenue split, straight 50-50 revenue split offered in 1994. They they would be really happy right now. Yeah, they would. And they would have been for the last 20 years. Right. But if you're the owners now... There's no way you offer a 50-50 split long term because there's no way you're ever go- the players are ever going to get to 50% of the revenue under the current system. And I wonder, going to just advancing the story, and let's hope we have baseball next year. I mean, if we got through this, I'm assuming we can get through mm-hmm. next year, what kind of season we have. Um, so that means the next four months, what does postseason look like? You know, um, our, our offseason look like with 
Is it one-year deals? Are there steals out there you can make? Are, are teams going to spend money? Does that um, really kind of bloody the waters for the CBA? Uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Okay, we got a major event coming up on Carriker and Smallman tomorrow. Oh, yeah. It's our first Halloween candy draft. Who is your first candy? If you put together your big board, Dan, who's mm-hmm. the first candy selected? Uh, I would go a Reese's peanut butter cup for, but I like the bunny on Easter. Mm, it's really very good. important yeah. distinction. Yeah, that that's number one. The Easter bunny is great. Yeah, that's that's. No question, that's number one. But since, you don't get that on Halloween. Yeah. Since you are allowed to sign your player now, and you do have the first pick, Michelle, can you tell us or are you going to wait? Keep I us in suspense. i got to have you guessing. I need you to put together your big board not knowing what I'm going to do. Randy. Butterfinger's pretty strong, too. See, I don't even have Butterfinger on my board. I'll give that one away right now. I was thank, thanks for the note. How about my dad, who, God rest his soul, he's been gone for a long time, but we would go, I mean, I would hustle during... Really put in an effort on Halloween. Mm-hmm. I used to take the old um, the sacks, you know, for your your pillows, pillow sack. Uh-huh. And I mean, I'd come home and the pillow sack would weigh more than me with because <laughs> it had more candy in it than I was. You know, I mean, this thing was dragging on the street. I'd throw it on the kitchen table, and he would go through my candy and take my Butterfingers. That was yeah, it was a strong move by the old dado. Yeah, power you move. Yeah. And that was one yeah. of your favorites, huh? Oh, I love Butterfingers, but he would take my Butterfingers. I'll say one thing that's occurred to me over the years, and this goes in line with what people know about me. I, during those Halloween days, I, I hated it when I got Almond Joy, which has nuts. Not a fan of Almond Mom's Joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Overrated. I can pretty much guarantee you that Almond, and Almond Joy will go in the draft tomorrow. Yeah, we know Low. you like it now. Yep. No, it's terrible. I agree, Another Dan. Great. Trash they're, pick. they're really good for you. Didn't like it when you'd go to the one house and go, "Hey, here's some uh, candy corn." I was like, "Ah, it's a waste." And then totally, I'd have to yeah. then I'd have to the give my joke and I do it real balls? fast. Did you ever get popcorn yeah, balls? Those. Get those out of here. They shouldn't get a toothbrush yeah. or an apple. Yeah, toothbrush, apple. Get Ma- that out of here. Mary Jane's. No, don't want any of that. Let's you stick with the basics. So, Hershey's, yeah. Reese's Pieces, I, peanut I butter think... cups, <laughs> Butterfingers, Milky Ways, Snickers. Give me those. We're in. You still haven't enlisted right. the best. Which, Which I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want to yeah. give away my draft okay. secrets. Okay. We've got some strategies going on. So, yeah, we've got the, the old snake draft going tomorrow. So okay, it's good. Michelle, Randy, Scott, Scott, Randy, Michelle, Michelle. So it's going to be interesting. It'll be, uh, that'll be a hell of a radio, a radio segment. <laughs> Looking forward to it. And then people will have the chance to vote on it as well. <laughs> Looking great. forward to it. Scott, man, man, but, you know, Scotty Manziara, our producer engineer, great job today. Thank you. Right, thanks, Randy. <laughs> I'm just rattled. Michelle, thank you. You got it, Randy. See you tomorrow. I'm a loser. No, you're not. You're a winner in my book. Thanks, Dan. No problem. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. 
and in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.